My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Mystic Mark, and you are listening to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Coming up is a two-part conversation. The first interview is Ryan Christian, creator and founder of The Last American Vagabond, who joins me, Mystic Mark, here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. In part two, I, Mystic Mark, join Ryan Christian on his show, The Last American Vagabond. You can find the video versions of both of these interviews on rockfin.com. That's R-O-K-F-I-N.com. Be sure to sign up on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy page. You help me out, you support the show, and go over and follow The Last American Vagabond there as well. Thank you for tuning into this episode and enjoy the following conversations with Ryan Christian.
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. With me today is the founder and creator of The Last American Vagabond. He is Ryan Christian. He is someone who I've wanted to have on the show for quite a while. What's up, brother? How you doing, man? You've been covering a lot of stories lately. You've been showing people very quickly how the illusion is coming to pieces, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe not everyone sees it as clearly, but you do. How are you, brother? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad, happy to be here. I'm glad to connect with you finally. And I, I do think that personally, I think it, it depends on what you think when we say they see it, what we're talking about exactly. It's hard to define what that may be to everybody. But I think most people, and it's an easy picture to see when you look in the right places, are just more skeptical and questioning than I think I've ever seen. Mm. You know, and at the point, the point I always make is the example of like the bivalent part of this, the new injection that's being offered. You know, and it, you, there's a million reasons under the sun why you can argue this is happening. But if you're right, I think last time I looked, it's like 12 percent of the population are have taken it. And these are people that are being told you have to do this. It's important. You're going to kill grandma. The same people that were going along with the first and the second, and the third and the fourth. Now they're going, OK, wait, <laughs> something's wrong here. Right. And it just shows you that even those people, their their most dedicated followers, mindless followers are turned off by something. Mm -hmm. I think it's because of people like us that are highlighting these things. And for some reason, whether it's just shifting planetary alignment or whatever, people are more kind of like looking for truth at this point. And I, I think it is due to independent media and their relentless efforts to just continue to batter down the lies. But I'm hopeful about it. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't apply to everything. I do think there's very clear political divides and constant, as you know, moment to moment psyop attempts to draw people back in to trusting the narrative and the government. And, you know, it's a daily battle, but I'm hopeful. I really am. Right. Right. Yeah. And it, it's amazing how the curtains dropped. I think so many people can't avoid thinking in the alternative now that they had one idea shoved down their throat for so long, you know, personally. Well, it's been proven to be wrong. Exactly. By their own people now, right? Well, <laughs> and, and, and I do hope we get into some of the details on that because I know you, you've covered a bunch of it on your show. But I do want to just take a moment to compliment your show and the vision, the mission, at least what I've garnered from it, of getting out there, showing people what's actually happening, right? Because mm -hmm. my generation, I was born in 94. I grew up with grandparents glued to the TV. That was their reality. They saw everything through the TV. And for my generation, it was pretty obvious. Like, okay, that's not reality. But Unfortunately, because of the way our system is set up, people don't have the ability to go and be mobile, go and explore. And when the pandemic, pandemic happened, I took that as an opportunity to get out in my car and drive around and explore. There was hardly any traffic. Mm -hmm. And I feel like your Last American Vagabond started in that way, obviously way before the pandemic. But you were traveling and you know showing people what's really going on in the world. Do you feel like when you embarked on that journey, you had your own sort of illusions that were sort of broken as you explored? Like, what personally do you see change in yourself since you started The Last American Vagabond? Well, the end part of that's a big question. But <laughs> the, 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 the one right before that that you asked, I mean, it's a day-by-day -day process, man. As you know, every single day I find the you know the another thing pops up and i'm like oh okay what's this procedure and you look into the procedure and you find out it was created by this person and you know what i mean and you go down these holes and you go okay so that's also a lie or you know like I, going back to like corbett's work from when i was kind of going through my own process you realize like 
you start asking yourself, oh, okay, so that's also tied to MKUltra, or that's also tied to this. And you go, okay, what else What else out there is also based around narrative that we can prove today at least is partly false? You know, and you really just start. So my point to that first question or my answer is that it's just a day, every day I feel like I discover something new that I thought that I held. The real point is why I started with the, the tagline question, everything, because even then I realized it's, everything's up for debate, everything. And now it doesn't mean I don't have strongly held beliefs that I would argue to the death, right? Or no, I guess not to the death, but that I would argue, you know, passionately. And, but yet I'm still willing to question those things. One of the biggest kind of, even my supporters, contentious point that I'll make is like, look, I'm a Christian, right? I, I am, I believe in God and I'm a Christian. I have my, and I've, I've gone through a hard process throughout too. And it's probably, my beliefs probably are a little more convoluted than, or, you know, different than many people might think, but I am a Christian. And yet, nonetheless, I apply it to the same thing. Could that mean that God doesn't exist? Sure, it's possible, right? But I believe he does. But see, people, oh, that's blasphemy. But it's not really, though, right? It's except it's being willing to entertain the possibility that anything's false. I'm going off on a tangent. But the point is, I think I do evolve every day with new things. And that's what I want people to do as well. You know, I'm wrong about stuff. I, I mis misunderstand things. And we just have to evolve every single day. What I think, to your second part, What's evolved the most is just, I guess, more of a, a deeply seated belief and almost ideology of exactly that. You know, like, um, I mean, I feel more confident today. I mean, it's hard not, it's an easy thing to feel confident in to just say question everything, right? It almost, to some people that's frustrating because it's like, well, it's, it's nebulous, but it's supposed to be, you know, that's the reality. I didn't create that reality. That's just where we are. So we have to apply that. Some people just get frustrated by it, but. I'm really confident in that. And I think that we need to be able, like, here's a good kind of microcosm to finish my answer is that, you know, we're looking at things like Elon Musk today, you know, on Twitter and stuff. And I, I'm not saying I know for sure that he's tricking everybody or that he's got a big larger agenda or part of this or part of that. But I'm blown away by how quickly people are willing to go, I knew it because of some tweets that came out. Or I don't know if you're following what's recently just happened with Matt Taibbi. And I'm like, yeah, I, I honestly actually believe that's the truth. That's that, I'm, But I'm not including that in my Twitter discussions because it's irrelevant. The point is, we don't know for sure it's just a bunch of tweets and screenshots thus far, but people choose to believe it. And we just need to question everything, right? The next leader that gets elected, if you believe he's the best and he's proven to you that he's going to do the right things, the next thing he does, you should question it thoroughly, even if you believe he's on your side or she or whatever. That's where we need to remember to be at today because it's mm. paramount, I think. Mm, yeah, and I, I agree with that. I champion that point. I try my best to remain neutral, unbiased, and unattached to any one ideology or right. prescription. You know, I think we, we have to be able to have a fluidity of mind because a big part of the PSYOP is getting you cordoned off into, what do they call them, echo chambers and silos, right? right? Where you just agree with all of your peers to the point where none of you are even focused on reality. You're just shouting <laughs> this is right. in agreement, right? So... Yeah. I, I don't, unfortunately, follow Twitter as closely as I may, as I should, possibly. But Elon Musk seems like he got this sort of cult hero status really quickly, quickly. from that, you know? And it, it almost felt like the the people who are part of this kind of meme culture, very detached from the effects of what they're part of, you know, they're just willing to go and, you know, prop up anybody because it's it's funny to them. Right. And I feel like this is a insidious or a deceptive 
version of the same thing we're seeing from the mainstream media. Maybe it's a little more Wild West. Maybe it's not so organized like that. But in the same way, they're sort of reinforcing the narrative from the opposite perspective. Yeah. I mean, and that's a great, you know, that's a great kind of way to look at this as I tend to think that whether that's this or not, that that is always happening. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's always part of a, a coordinated effort to keep you somewhere in the center right. and not in the center in the context of politics, but like the path that they want you on, you right. know. And so to your point, whether that's happening or not, I don't know. But it's interesting to think about the possibility that one, we know that bots and all this stuff is overwhelmed the internet these days and it's getting admitted in weird pockets of the conversation, but we all should know that's just every company and every government are, they have entire programs dedicated to pushing certain ideas with bots and so on. Right. Twitter is kind of one of the parts where that's becoming clear, but whether or not there is also the aspect of like the, I don't know what you want to call it. And this would just be like an easy way to, for people to connect it, but who knows if this, what it means or this, what it is, but like the Reddit 4chan kind of community that loves to just, play the game and doesn't really care about the outcome or what it causes. They love to see it, just burn it down and watch people freak out. And and I actually get that to a degree because of how overly serious some of these things are taken by people that shouldn't be. But if that's all of it, then what does that really mean for the larger agenda? I mean, these are all just questions, but it, it does play the factor. I think mm. I'm more concerned actually on top of that, of the people that are actually doing that, but also believe their own BS. You know what mm. I mean? Like the partisan players, there's, there's different levels of it. You got the people out there that are the high level players that, in my opinion, don't care. It's like in this exact example, Elon Musk is the folk hero of today because that's advantageous for their position right now or because people beneath them believe that. So they're like, yes, who cares if Alex Jones isn't left back? Who cares if he hasn't done what he said? It's great because we want it to be. All of Fox is apparently holding him up as this hero right now. It's just, it's embarrassing. But at the same time, you got the people that are on the other side of that that actually believe that. You know, and that's the pocket that I'm so concerned about, because what have they seen that proves that you've got partisan players saying that's the case. You've got Elon claiming he's going to do things. And then you just got a bunch of narratives swirling around and people just lean into it. So like those are the people I'm concerned about. My question is whether that is a huge majority of the population or a really small minority that they're screaming about. So we all think it's everybody. Hmm. You know, that's super convoluted for most people, I think. But I think you get where I'm going with that. Yeah. And it's like, really, we need to focus in on these actual like. You know, it comes back to question everything, of course, but that we shouldn't be allowing the narrative of any side to dictate what we do next. Right. You know, it's just it's crazy. Right. And I, I think question everything speaks to the heart of something that's really human, which is, you know, we as human beings try to affect positive change. Right. Especially people who are brought up in a right situation with loving families. You know, we want to we want to give back. We want to affect change. And I think I think that's inherently the case. Yeah. With most people. I think that's what's so odd about this like detachment that we see you know it's almost like a game of three card monty with fox Mm -hmm. and cnn and and the alternative like they don't care if you catch the ball under fox or you catch the ball under cnn as long as you're stuck in the game and the flow you know they they you know i think that's really what it is they want to they want to limit or i don't know cat kneecap our ability to affect change really and i think independent media gives people the courage to say to their peers no 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 stop listening to fox stop listening to cnn have you heard what ryan christian just published have you seen this substack post have you listened to this podcast and the more that information becomes available the less competition the independent media is going to have from the mainstream media and I, 
I guess as someone who's kind of well vested in the independent media space to some degree, do you see the mainstream media already coming for independent media? I mean, Alex Jones, Mm -hmm. he's kind of main the most mainstream of the independent people in a certain definition of that word given he's got such a big following he doesn't seem to be doing too well lately in light of that hearing but um do you think they're they're coming for it in that way like uh, with you know crowders and those fuentes and these types of peoples when we say they, you're talking about the media itself or like a government representation? Well, I think uh, w- this is a My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast. We're talking about the all-encompassing they, whether it's the government right, right. or the media, whoever's pulling the strings. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can answer it like that, but I, I think because I easily you could just discuss it in that context, which I think then discusses, and I think what we're getting at is just, you know, whatever the rule, the controlling factor is and the decisions being trickled down into the mindless following so- foot soldiers, you know, but... I think it does change the, the answer if you're going to fine tune it about whether we're talking about the nebulous media concept or from like a legal government aspect. You know what I mean? Because one would mean, I think, more coverage and propaganda, whereas the government part of it would mean more like sent, sent, like direct censorship and possible like physical action. That's right. the only reason I asked that. Right. But right. wait, sorry. And sorry. Can you give me the question one more time so I can make sure I answered it correctly? What was it again? Yeah. The, from where you stand, what do you see the mainstream media doing to mm-hmm. sort of vie against independent media? Maybe right. okay. infiltrate. So that, that's where I see like, well, obviously what's funny about that is we can see like YouTube, right? <laughs> we all remember the time like 30 seconds ago, you know, jokingly, that the media was like, YouTube is just ridiculous and it's a bunch of parodies and cat videos, whatever. It's all stupid. Nobody should pay attention. And now they're like fighting tooth and nail to control YouTube. And it's just kind of pathetically embarrassing for them. And I think we can all see that the media itself as the corporate media entities have lost almost everything. I mean, they're, they're, they got paywalls these days. They're being all, I mean, I think all of them are being subsidized by the government to one degree or another with, you know, these illusion of like media programs, like truth and honesty and media. And, you know, and the government bumps money into them like grants and stuff. They're basically funding the media that people no longer care about. And I think that's what we're starting to see. That's why when you get into like the actual ratings, which even then we know are aggressively manipulated, but yet still fall short of some of the larger podcasts and YouTube channels. That's really embarrassing for these gigantic outlets. And that's why a lot of them try to pretend that they've got more reach with their papers, even online, that you can't really quantify. It's like, come on. No, people look at it for the reasons we do, because we are breaking it down and we are showing it. So it does get the tra- the views, but I think they are, to your point, I think that the media in general is doing everything they can to downplay, undermine, and suppress any independent objective thought. But I think it focuses predominantly on objective, nonpartisan coverage because you see that they'll use these things. A lot of these partisan players, even while getting the truth out, like I don't want to undermine that there is a way to navigate that game, like, or even for instance, self-censor on YouTube and still kind of get it out. I've, def- I've resigned to not even play that game. I think ultimately we'll lose doing that. I could be wrong, but we see that you can, you know, these partisan players will, you know, kind of pull the punch and be like, well, it's, you know, the shot is working for some age groups because they that's what we've been told YouTube says they have to say to not be censored if they talk about it. And they be, they've admitted stuff like this. But it's like, so at the end of the day, they're just hoping that we can't have like the nonpartisan objective conversation because when you really have that conversation today, I mean, it's just like night and day when you compare like what we're talking about. Like, let's just, again, just take the, the Twitter to conversation. I'm not coming out and saying he's a liar or this is everything we need to see, which is what you're kind of seeing, right? The ridiculous extreme on either side. I'm coming out and going, well, maybe 
we don't, where's the evidence? I'll wait to see it. And you get just a bombarded with attacks from both sides. Either you're supporting the alt-right by not saying it's fake, or you are a shill for the Biden administration because you're not blindly following it. And the problem is just that everything gets lost in the middle there, right? And I think that's what they want. And if we're standing here going, we should wait for evidence, it makes everybody doing that look really stupid. And it's, it's, I mean, even they see it, and that's usually why I think you get these really aggressive attacks because people are internally going like, you know, it's it's a reactionary kind of thing. You know, I don't, I think I've gone off on a tangent there on what you asked, but I think ultimately the media is very clearly trying to simultaneously act like what we're doing is childish, ridiculous, and not worth of anything while trying to fill that exact space with their own people. You know, it's very clear. And I every point I make today, I think, kind of falls back to the point of which it, that is why most people, to one degree or another, are questioning things they never did before. You know, right. just going, well, that doesn't make sense, but that's pretty obvious. Well, there's obviously Nazis in Ukraine. Like, you know, it's like it's just so clear today. Mm. So, again, hopeful, hopeful yeah. message. Well, and and I think, you know, to pivot towards the Ukraine topic, do you think that the war in Iraq could have gone off the way it did under today's circumstances? I feel like, you know, if we were maybe 15 mm. years ago, we would be looking at a, a deadlier conflict in Eastern Europe right now than we are, but because of the amount of cell phone cameras, the amount of oh, people yeah. on social media, you know, it's <laughs> like they can't pull off false flags like they used to. Do you agree with that? Or you think they have to yeah. be more nuanced or, or more specialized oh, now? Absolutely. Well, I mean, all of those things, but I think it's just simply more about how they just need to, I, I make the joke about how the U.S. government is just like, I seemingly, they seemingly have play one, two, and three, and they just roundly go through these things over and over. Like, oh, I shot somebody in a protest. Oh, we need to go in for regime change to save the protest. It's just the same thing. And it's like, I don't think they realize how transparent it's become other than certain areas. But to the bigger point, I think that what, it, there's a couple factors. I think that without the Iraq war, like independent of the media and the technological advancements, that the Iraq war is part of why we see this today. Right. So like without that happening, it's it's kind of like that they're they're together. Like we we all know what happened. WMDs, for example, just one of the most obvious that weirdly, I guess I'm unaware that some people still don't realize that that was a lie, which I don't know how that's possible. But that kind of thing has opened people's minds to at the very least go, OK, well, they could have just gotten it wrong, even though that's so silly. And we obviously it's much more than that. Right. But so without the Iraq war part of it and then everything else in between, we wouldn't have the sort of awareness we have today. Then you add what you're talking about on top of that, the, the cell phone videos, which I do think is a huge part of this. This is why I often point at Twitter, which I wish it was something other than Twitter, like just, or how about all of them simultaneously? But Twitter is unfortunately, in my opinion, next to like Telegram, but as I point out, Telegram is just different for the reason that the way it flows, it's the best for real-time information. As long as you factor in that 50% or more of it could be fake. Outright lies, manipulations, and, and so on, which we should always be thinking that's possible, right? Mm. But so they can't get it all in one time. In basically, let's say you're there's a, a something going on right now, like it just happened, an explosion in Iraq, and you jump on Twitter in the real time, you're going to catch things that they can't siphon away or suppress or hide, and you get a real time glimpse into where those things are, like the Patrick Lancasters and Eva Bartlett's of the world that are on the ground there getting real time information. And then eventually it just becomes so hard to suppress all of it that it's you just it's all there. The point is that without that, I mean, we were I mean, what else do we have but the corporate media telling us what they're seeing? And I think that's what they were so used to that they could just say things. Well, of course, because they have their clout and they would know because they've got their sources. But we've come today where we're going like, do they, though? 
Like, like really? Like, okay, so they're just blindly regurgitating what Reuters just said. So who's their source, right? We don't even really understand the breakdown. People should look into what's called the propaganda multiplier. It's something that Swiss Policy Research put out a while ago. It just breaks down how the flow really goes just really quickly. It's, you know, it's intelligence to the main aggregators, Reuters, French press agency, Associated Press, and then to basically every other platform. These days, most of these Foxes and CNNs and New York Times, they barely even have investigative journalists anymore. And you can prove this stuff, right. you know, it's just, a, it's a regurgitation flow of information, right. you know? And so if we understand that, you can see how they constantly get manipulated, you know? Yeah. I, I looked recently at my local news station's job postings just for no reason at all. And uh, <laughs> I went and saw the digital reporter position and in the job requirements was something along the lines, I'm paraphrasing, but find interesting news articles to repost on our site. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, that's what the journalist has been relegated to for <laughs> these days, like just a regurgitator, not even making right. original, maybe possibly making original local content, but it, it explicitly said like, yeah, you're going to find news stories from bigger people and, and share it for us little guys here in, in this town. You know, that mm. that's the gist of it. I'm thinking like, you know, what happened to the gumshoes, like the the guys that are, you know, following up on these things? And I think what it is, is is there was no money in the mainstream for people like that. And so they went independent. They found, you know, their own their own platform. And well, the key point, I think, to focus in on what you said right there is that, yeah, there was no money in it. But why? Right. Mm. And I think the, the reality became that there it was a, it was a coin flip about whether or not their breaking story was going to be shut down by people above them, right? right? I've talked to people like Allison Morrow, who's on Rockfin, you know, who, who came up against this during, it was, it was pre-COVID, it wasn't necessarily related to COVID, but it was about a health-related story. And, and she, you know, and I've had many interviews with her and how she just realized, like, this is literally, like, they're shutting this down because of politics. Like, it's a breaking story about some real health problem, and yet they don't want to report it because they're advertisers. It's like, so she had the revelation, like a lot of people did in that field, to go, well, these people aren't honest. It's not about the truth, you know? And I think that that's the problem. So you're going to spend all of this time and effort, and that also is being funded prior to the actual story. That's what it, real investigative journalism is, right? I know that because I'm doing that with people that work with, with T-Lab, you know, that you have to fund things, plane tickets and, you know, whatever else, and then come to find out that, that whoever you want to talk about, you know, Robert Murdoch says, nope, sorry, that goes against this. And so the whole thing gets scrapped. So they realized from a business standpoint, they have stockholders and, and, you know, people on the board. And they said, well, we're wasting money every time because let's just focus on what we're supposed to focus on, whatever the narrative is and whatever makes us the most money. Trump, bad guy, Russia sucks, whatever else, you know, and, and we saw that hard slant during the Trump administration. And I think Whatever this is, whatever, like pretty much from Trump forward, we've seen this weird rapid escalation that to me seems like is on this fast track that they can't stop. The Great Reset. I mean, look at how obvious this stuff is now, and they don't seem to be slowing down. In fact, they seem to be going faster. You know, I don't know if it started with Trump or after that or before, but we've seen this escalation. And I think they've just resigned to be like, you know what, let's just keep going. The right. best thing we can do is just execute this as fast as possible and maybe just put them into the technocratic panopticon and then they won't have to work about it anyway. Just, you know, facetious, but kind of not. But mm. yeah, that, that's what I think. Well, and and yeah, it's it was almost a year or more than a year ago that you were on Sam Tripoli's Tinfoil Hat podcast talking about the fourth industrial revolution. Right. And that seems like what we're inching closer to. I mean, they say an, we're in it now. Yeah. Well, there's the optimistic side of me that wants to think that 
you know, the world is a stage and the bad guys are doing this for our best interest in some super, you know, 30, you know, stories above looking down kind of perspective. Mm -hmm. Is there any gleam of that optimism from what you've garnered and gathered over the years? Like, do you think there's a possibility that these people are, are, have our best interest in mind in some sick way? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly possible. I mean, anything's possible. I think the point for me comes down to, and it's a great question because it ultimately what it means is let's just say for sake of conversation, that is what's happening. Don't, do we still not have a right to know what's going on? Don't we have a right to make our own decisions? You know, just because they have a good intentions doesn't mean they're still not lying, being dishonest, allowing people to die for the agenda so we can have the right thing. Like it just doesn't, it's still, it's, it's like the lesser of two evils analogy, right? It's mm-hmm. like, we're still doing bad things, even if you argue it's for some greater good, but yeah, certainly possible. I argue that a lot of people in the middle rungs and lower probably actually believe that. They, 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 they're buying their own BS. They actually believe the climate change narrative. They actually believe these vaccines are still helping people, which is like in contradiction to everything we now see, even the science they claim they're trusting. So, you know, I do think some of it, but it takes a special kind of stupid to not engage with what's happening right now and at least be critical of it. But I would say like to take the question to an extreme to the very top. You know, does Bill Gates and, uh, and Klaus Schwab and these people truly think they're doing right by the world? I find it really hard to believe, but anything's possible. But if you look at what they're doing, like the main point, again, comes back to like, so you're you're arguing that it makes sense to hide that children are dying because of the, you know, or or to force people in a position where they don't have sovereignty or free will because climate change. Like if they can if they actually have made some kind of, you know, whatever logical decision that that's what we need to do. I think we need to question their process and realize that there's a thousand other directions we could take, especially since we don't even know we're assuming what the future is, you know? But yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to see that with the population arguments. I mean, this goes back to the eugenics topic, right? There's plenty of people that argue that was the right thing to do, even though they were putting people to death based on their genetic perceptions or their race or their intelligence. You know, it's it's all, it's a, it's a perception, it's a question of whether we think those things are what authority should be doing. Right. I mean, that's the lie we tell ourselves. We live in a democracy today where we get to involve ourselves in the process. It's like, mm. <laughs> I just think we need to really question that primarily. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I don't subscribe to that thought or that strain of optimism. Uh, but it is it is interesting to think that that maybe there is a silver lining somehow. But it seems that well, I, actually let me if I can elaborate further, on because I like that. So, for instance, you could take this to like the extreme about like the Great Reset. Right. I mean, the, the, the problem is that we find ourselves in this like paradigm situation, the two party paradigm where the middle of the conversation gets ignored. Right. It's either that we have to do literally all of this or none of it. Right. And the problem is that we can we are obviously hurting the planet. That's just not up for debate. Like what the military, when I say we, I'm talking about the governments primarily, the U.S. military being the undeniable leading polluter. Of, of, of the governments, right? They're military going around the world and polluting everywhere they go and burning and their, their toxic burn pits and all these different things, right? So that is, the problem is that we are doing that, but that doesn't mean, i.e. climate change, right? I, that climate change in and of itself is an aggressive agenda that there's so much up for debate, especially the carbon aspect and nitrogen and all that. But does that mean we shouldn't be trying to be sustainable? Well, no, but see now suddenly the sustainable is a bad thing because they use the word sustainable, even though they're not even trying to be sustainable. They're just using that as their narrative. But so we find ourselves in a position where now it's like, what do we do? Nothing. Well, no, we should all still be trying to do personally what we can to change and be better and and, you know, not hurt the planet as much. 
but they're hijacking that, right? So it's like, I do think at some level there's this arbitrary idea about what we need to do to change, but the people at the top are hijacking that to achieve their own ends, you know? So I don't think it really matters, to be quite clear, because what they're doing is not the right path. It's hurting people more, and I think they know that. Yeah, I agree, man. I agree 100%, and he said it very eloquently, and that's the that's what we're looking for. I think people need it stressed because if not, then maybe they won't be aware of of it until it's too late. And I think that's sort of what they're up against is the human being for as much as they think they have us figured out. I don't think they're even close to figuring out our soul, our origins. You know, I don't think science has a handle on that. There is this fear that we are looking at a technocratic government, technocratic control. What do you yep. think standing in the way of that? Do you think the technology is is t- sort of just in the imaginations of these think tank engineers, or do you think they actually have it? You know, you've seen the the videos of the guys in the lab with the robots that they can kick over and then they stand back up. You think right. we're anywhere close to a technocratic? dictatorship that's you know run like in a sort of sci-fi manner i sadly i do and i don't i i want to stress the hopeful note on this and i think the reason largely to go back to the point about the time frame that this is being so clumsily forced in while everyone sees it is because there's been this point at which and this also may kind of connect with the idea that some of them may actually believe we have to do this by 2030 right so there is kind of like this time sensitivity in their minds but it's i think it's simply because we're watching the natural evolution of these very same technocrats eugenicists whatever that are now watching this time frame like they've talked about this stuff 30 years ago but now suddenly we actually have the technological capabilities to achieve at least what they think is possible right the same vision they've had forever that's been slowly molded and crafted based on the new advancements and so on right we see the mrna platforms and all this like we're we're being driven into this biosecurity state which is part two of the security state from 9-11. It's the same thing, right? I, I stress Whitney Webb's work on this, or even her book touches on certain things. It's important. This, this stuff has been outlined for a long time, and she does outstanding work on this topic. And I think the point is they now feel that they can execute this. At the very least, make us think they can execute this, whether we're talking artificial intelligence, for example. But I think that, yes, right now, I think we're already there. And I don't think we even realize that. I think that's why this is executed was kind of what I was explaining there. And so now we have the capability, right? They have, they've had the ability to do smart dust level nanotechnology that is imperceptible to the human eye for more than a decade now. I was watching a symposium. It was, I think, in 2011 or earlier. I forget the exact date. I don't want to miscite it. But the point being that he's talking about things smart dust that at the time he was talking about it was like, I think, the tenth of a size of a grain of, or tenth of a size of a piece of paper. Right. That was like literally so tiny that it was dust. You wouldn't even be able to notice it unless it was in a large enough deployable, I guess, cloud or, you know, whatever we're talking about. And the point was this stuff was being already developed and in use and it was being tested. And it was stuff that could land on your skin and use your body's own motion and heat to to run itself. It didn't need anything other than what it what, you know, it didn't need like a, a microchip motor, let's say, you know, like we're so far past this point. And now today we see these things are like, look at this rice sized chip. That's the cutting edge technology. And I'm going, well, that's not true. Right. So why are they selling us this idea? And I think that we're at a point now where we're kind of I think, as always, we're further right now than we realize. 
Like, for instance, we see these technological advancements roll out and you could almost always look back and realize, oh, it turns out that the military was testing that 10 years before they told us it just was discovered. You know, like geoengineering, for example, You're like, look at this new thing called cloud seeding. Like, mm. I've actually seen articles being talked about right. like like today. And it's like, for crying out loud, that's been proven forever. My point is they want us to feel like this is new, but it's already there. And I think they're utilizing this stuff to create the control structure that they need to maybe in some people's minds, save the planet, but I think mostly control it mm. for whatever end they claim is in the best interest of people, but really is in, in their interest of controlling the population. And that may include depopulation. I mean, I'm usually on the line about whether that's actually a factor in this, but it's certainly possible. And there's plenty of people that think that needs to happen. Yeah, no, it's it's right under our nose and maybe even in our nose if it's this invisible dust, you know, and, take, and yeah. Take the self-spreading vaccine point. Right. Right. I mean, that's been discussed by Johns, <clears throat> Johns Hopkins during COVID-19. You actually pointing at human to human self-spreading vaccines, which were first adopted, created as a, an animal to, to animal. But they're openly saying, well, now it needs to be human to human. And this is how we're going to stop the future pandemics. And my point was, I, I genuinely think, and this is my opinion, genuinely think that's already happened. Mm. I think I actually wonder whether Omicron itself, which was first discovered in Botswana, on four diplomats who've never been named, never, never pointed out where they came from, and they had diplomatic immunity. They crossed in, were testing positive for the first discovery of Omicron, and then it went to South Africa. Now, you have to dig very hard to find that Botswana point in any coverage. It all started in South Africa, according to most everything you find, except you can prove that's not true. So why did we never find out who they were, where they came from, why they were traveling? I mean, I mean, it just it's none of it makes sense. I think that was an executed effort to either try to stop what they thought was happening or maybe make it worse. Mm. And I think we saw that change. They claim Omicron changed everything. And it kind of did to a degree. But right. it depends on what you think is happening. But that's right. a concerning aspect of that. And that overlaps with the nanotechnology. Charles Lieber and his virus sized nanotechnology like it was well, that was virus sized transistors that mimicked viruses that's what he was working on wow. i mean you remember you remember charles lieber right the guy in the beginning who got arrested for the harvard kind of like pipeline to china with genetic material no i missed uh, well, that story no yeah if your audience just look just look up charles lieber worked with harvard you know and there's an overlap there with jeffrey epstein and the work that was being done there i mean there's all sorts of crazy connections but the point is how in the world are you going to be working on virus sized transistors Right. Or that are that were mimicking virus activity right before COVID-19. This guy gets arrested and shuttled away for some weird thing about bringing genetic material back and forth between China, China, hiding what the research is. And then all of a sudden this all starts and the guy is still involved somehow. But no one's talking about that. We're talking about nano based injections. I mean, my God, the point is no one's even looked at that in, from like a corporate level position. That's very alarming to me. Hmm. Well, and it was pretty obvious to me and I'm sure many people that these tests were simply, you know, testing whether or not your immune system was compromised. It wasn't figuring out what exactly was going on inside. So it's really, really creepy to think that they could be polluting the atmosphere with these pathogens, fake or otherwise, and then testing for them and saying, oh, you have this, you need this, and whatever right, they give right. you ends up being worse than that contaminant that was floating around. I mean, that seems to me like a, a plausible strategy and why they Definitely. need to control the mental climate and, and get people, you know, to be obedient and go and to go to your local CVS and get your shot every however many seasons. I mean, it's it's mm -hmm. unbelievable how 
people have become dependent on the medical system. I see it in my own family, you know, trying to reconcile certain ailments and say, oh, well, why don't you try this tea? And it's like, well, not until I see if that's okay with my doctor, you know. Correct. And this happened decades before COVID, but they mm -hmm. they needed to create this situation where people have more faith in authority than they do their own intuition, their own common sense, and they needed to do it with the body, you know? And I, I think, again, you, you and I will probably agree that they're not even close to figuring out the soul and how to, you know, technologically control it. But I think that's the ultimate goal here. Would you agree? Well, I think it's kind of hard because everyone probably has a different personal understanding or definition of what the soul or what you what we mean when we're talking about that but yeah i mean i i think at some ultimate level there is a, there is there is a, a i don't know if you want to call it a spiritual level an occult level like to what we're talking about from these people in power and my point i always make and i i genuinely think there's something to this whether we're talking about consent and what it means to you know get to to carry out some kind of an effort where you need people to consent to what they're doing and understand that it's happening but at the end of the day that all that really matters is that these people believe what they're doing right so if they believe that by doing so they're they're casting some kind of spell on people or that they're creating some kind of a dynamic there that's darker deeper than what we understand if they believe it then that's all that really matters you know right because they're continuing to execute it for that reason but you know there's a lot of you know i'm sure we could talk for hours about the 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 other side of this you know the deeper part of you know the occult background and what what may actually be happening from a more spiritual level in their perception or maybe in reality. And that stuff scares me because you can find these practices, these occult practices going back to a lot of these people and the, the backgrounds they come from and what that would mean, you know? And so whether they believe they are doing something from like a religious level, like a, a war on our soul to an, I mean, who knows? I, I mean, it's hard to speak on that, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. Right. But I think all of it does come down to control. So it's really how they perceive it. You know, and these people have shown themselves to be some pretty bad people. So it's not too mm. awful in that regard. Yeah, no. And I mean, when we look at the global conflicts over the past, I mean, since Vietnam, since World War II, I mean, you could take the needle back that far, but you look at where they've been focusing resources, control, transportation channels. I mean, there's whatever the they is let's call it the CFR, let's call it the, you know, Western powers, right? Mm -hmm. They have gone ar around the rest of the world and made sure to put themselves in this position where now I think technology has kind of done most of the legwork that they tried to accomplish with, you know, navies and military power in the past. Now they're able to create this one world cohesive sort of consensus across many languages, across many countries, because it's in the name of science, right? And right. that's that's right. kind of the deception, because when you go back to the origins of science, you go back to even the way science is, is practiced today. There are things that go on in laboratories that are explicitly occult, explicitly magical. <laughs> I mean, science to a certain advanced degree is indistinguishable from magic to anyone who's not, you know, 
knowledgeable of what's going right. on, right? That's so. the barrier. It's just a matter of time and perception, right? I mean, you mm. you take some basic technology today and go back two hundred years, it's magic, right? right. And it's just that's it's an that that's what I kind of we were saying before. You know, it's just really a perception line about how they perceive that and what it really means. Like the point I, I make in the concept of uh, in the context of um, whether we're talking like brainwashing or so or just what's a better word for it? It doesn't matter. So if I, if I say. Yeah, well, there you go. Okay, so and if I if I just say the word elephant, right? Right now, everyone's picturing an elephant. You don't. You didn't try to do that. It's just because that's the way the brain works. Now, did I just do that to you? Right? Is that a spell that I just put an elephant in your mind? I didn't physically do that, right? So you could break this stuff down to argue that from their perception, it may actually mean the you know the pro the programming, the propaganda, the influencing, social engineering, very well could be perceived that way. And who are we to debate otherwise? All that really matters is the outcome, right? So is it a spell? Is it social engineering? Is it technological advancement? I mean, you know, we all have our perceptions, right? Mm -hmm. It's the outcome that matters. And I truly believe they think at some level what they're doing is bigger than what we think we understand, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you can go back to classic conversations about, you know, bloodlines and these the, the right to rule kind of perception. And again, those things are deeply rooted in the concept of things far above in their perception, science and technology. It's inherent. It's it's God given, you know, so you, you can't really divide and dissect these things from each other because these go back to classical. I mean, just the fact that we still have the Queen of England and the, the, the transition of power right in front of us and we act like we're living in these. I mean, it's, it's how do you complain? How do you make sense of those two things? Right. Right? How do we pretend we're a democracy, but there's a queen and a king? And and now, you know, it's it's just so silly. At the end of the day, these people believe at some level they have a right to be above us. And that, that you know, take that for what you will. Right. Right. And it almost, you know, doesn't matter the why so long as we figure out the how and stop them. Right. And I yeah. think that's really where your focus is maintained. And I appreciate that from you. I think we, we need more of that from our media outlet, independent or otherwise, you know. I, I would add that the why is important, as I'm sure you agree. But mm. to your point, it's just it's debatable. Mm. You know, that's the problem is like we, we talk about 9-11, for example, you know, and I've always made the point that, you know, it's 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 paramount what actually happened, right? Was there a plane in the Pentagon or was it not? You know, these things matter. Of course they matter and they're very important. But in the context of just trying to expose the lie from a core point or realize that we're all pointing at the same entity, that's where we need to finish. Like we're not finished, but, you know, pause and be like, look, we all agree the government lied to us. Can we at least just pause the debate about what actually happened and expose that they lied to us about this? Right. But then continue to argue that. But what happens is we end up dividing based on minutia of the argument. And I shouldn't even say minutia. They're important points, but that stops the whole thing from from continuing. Right. And I think there's a level of agenda within that as well. So the, the why just continues to be debated. But we need to focus on, like you said, how and and stopping from it from continuing to happen, because like we're in the middle of this right now. I'm like watching this panopticon being built around us. And if we continue to debate on the finer points of how, of, you know, what's trying to be accomplished and whether it's, it'll be done before we stop arguing, mm. you know, <laughs> and that's, that's the scary part. Right. Well, that leads us to what I hope to conclude on is your thoughts on what folks can do, how to get involved. I know we only have an hour here. We're coming up on 45 minutes right now. So what do you think, Ryan? I mean, when it comes to solutions, we hear a lot of people say, opt out, get away from the system, go live off the land, be, you know, completely isolated and, and sovereign. That sounds great. It also sounds like a great way to stay out of being, you know, in their way. 
it to a certain yeah. degree. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that that's part of the solution is, is getting some independence for yourself? Do you think voting and, and, and participating in like local government still matters at all? Like where, where should people be focusing if they want to get into the solutions? Well, first I'll say from your own perspective out there, focus on what you think is important, right? I gave you my opinions. I can tell you what I think, right? But the, just as long as you take an action, you, t- you pick a direction and you stay the course and you continue to fight for what you believe in, that's all we can really do, right? Because we're all going to disagree, I think, at some points. Personally, I think that voting, truly from an entire level at this point, I would argue my opinion is that it doesn't make a difference. And that's not because it shouldn't or in an honest situation wouldn't. I think voting is paramount in an actual representative government. I don't think we truly have that anymore. Yeah, I, I call me pessimistic. I think we continue to see that proven and we all just jump back on the same hamster wheel and go, well, let's vote harder next time because that's the only way. Like, I, I mean, I have a conversation about this with people in my family where it's like, well, unless you have a better solution, I'm going to go back. So you're, you're resigned to continue to do something you know isn't changing something because there's not a better solution. Why not just pause in place at the very least, right? Why continue to give consent? But I think the point is that if you believe it, do it. But to your smaller point about the local, if anything's going to make a difference in voting, it's going to be that. Right. So that's where I would argue, go vote for the local school board, <laughs> vote for the sheriff, because these people may actually just be your neighbor. Right. And you can see how that might actually make a difference if this person is, you know, just working out from the community and doing what they think is right. We've seen these school board positions make quite a difference. But I just argue that the more this changes, the more they'll flip and change. But, you know, don't not do it because of that. I just personally feel that there are better ways we can maximize our effort in all this. And I think the voting system is is completely just off the table at this point. But Breaking away from the system, I think, is absolutely important. But to your point, it depends on what you're trying to accomplish, right? Like I talk about pirate radio, pirate T-Lab pirate streams is what I do with my channel now. Seeing as how I've been censored on pretty much every single platform for now talking about provable things that I use pirate channels, right? So I have people on YouTube that allow me to broadcast through their channel, which sometimes get their channel censored, but they don't care because they want to help the point. And I jump from channel to channel almost every show now. And they may have five subscribers, but the channel gets 4,000 views. The point is my subscribers now realize that we're just, okay, where are we going today? And that is, of course, if they still want to use YouTube, please don't use YouTube. <laughs> That's how I think about it. But, you know, the point is that we can still broadcast that pirate message through their system and reach people. As long, I'm, I'm not self-censoring, right? I'm not continuing to benefit them. I'm using other things that pre-exist. So I feel like I'm, you know, hurting them to a degree by continuing to broadcast. But if you don't have that, if you don't want to partake in that part of it, you know, peer-to-peer economies, right? Vote with your dollar. Don't, you know, I, the, the vote that I think truly matters. You know, find ways to circumvent all of this stuff. I could give you lots of po- potential points. Like, you know, you could argue that there are some levels of cryptocurrency that may be able to circumvent the current direction of the CBDCs, but a lot of people disagree with that, right? Go back to sound money if you think all of that's crazy, right? That's the best thing to do because that's real currency, right? Not some fiat currency. But, you know, there's any number of examples like that. Agorism, right? Just continue to invest in your neighbors and your friends and start your own little farmer's markets and whatever else. Like, that's the direction to go. But to your point, if we really want to stop what's happening and change it, that is going to help, but it's not going to stop this runaway train, right? So what we're doing in this regard, you can't really do without technology or these kind of things. So that's why they're actively doing their best to stop this, to suppress our, to you know, suppress our, our you know, to throttle our feeds, to shut down our platforms. But we're fighting more and more and more people are becoming motivated by that, you know? So I think the best thing to do is to question what's happening, 
continue to push back on the things you don't agree with, talk to other people, be willing to consider other people's perspectives, and don't fall into the party paradigm trap. You know, you can consider yourself a conservative, a liberal, a Democrat, a Republican. I don't care as long as you're willing to question the things they say next. Right. I mean, that's all I, I I'm not saying I have a lock on exactly what's happening there, but I do know that it's easy to be swayed by politics because you choose a savior. Mm. You know, we need to just continue to question the motivations and the movements and the actions day by day, moment by moment. Right. And, and listen to your neighbor, listen to the person across from you the screen, because just because you disagree doesn't mean that they're they might not be right. Mm. You know, we just need to get back to that respecting other people's opinions, amicable disagreement. What right. happened to that? You know, right. Can I give you an example of one time small government made a big difference? Please. So I live in Connecticut, born and raised, and we're called the Constitution State because during the colonial days, we had a constitutional charter, which was written up by some sort of governor, church type folks, clergymen. And this served as the colony's sort of charter for a long time. And as there were many different royal houses shifting over in Europe, some of the records of our legitimate claim got lost in the wars over in Europe, right? So a couple decades onward, we have this sort of royal colony of new england that comes about and they're like okay connecticut you're not independent anymore we're gonna make you a part of new york and massachusetts and connecticut was like no we're not doing that mm -hmm. so we took our constitution we threw it inside of this oak tree it became known as the charter oak this famous oak tree and they had this sort of mock conflict between colonies and it wasn't much bloodshed but there was a battle there were some fights over this and Connecticut held to their guns. They stuck to their guns, and they said, we're not giving up our Constitution. We're not becoming a part of the colony. We'll play ball. You know, We'll trade with you guys. And then mm -hmm. next thing you know, the American Revolution kicks off because everybody was sick of them anyways, and I'm sure everybody knows the whole Boston Tea Party and all that. But not many people know that it was Connecticut that had the first Constitution and that along with, you know, the Iroquois Confederacy sort of blended together in the founding fathers vision of our constitution. And, you know, as much as I'm someone who loves agorism and, and going off the, the grid, I think the constitution stands as a sort of argument for itself to what can be accomplished through writing, you know, absolutely. And, and I think there's a lot in there that needs to be preserved, which I, I hope you agree with. I think many people in this country wouldn't be in the position we're in without that founding document, right? Yeah, we're talking about the U.S. Constitution. Right? Oh, yeah. I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, I've always maintained that. And especially, I mean, you could make arguments, and rightly so, about whether or not it was truly what was happening there or whether or not it was very quickly changed and bastardized, which I think is what happened. You know, because look, there, there was arguments at that at, in that very room about whether there should be the kind of government we have today versus the kind of government that actually was initiated as we understand it from the beginning, right? Kind of federal government versus more of the state kind of idea. And obviously we are supposed to, we understand it, the, 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 the Republic idea won out, but then we very quickly saw that change to where we saw more consolidation of power at the top and different people felt that there should be more power and, you know, that there shouldn't. And the problem is I think we lost out very quickly. 
to that kind of situation, which we look at where we are now, right? We, we literally have the exact idea that the founding fathers warned us not to let happen, right? right. It's, just, it's sad. And then they act like democracy and freedom and constitution as their very presence undermines that, you know, it's kind of silly. Right. But nonetheless, my point in saying all that is that regardless of what the real meaning and belief of the constitution was when it was written, it's taken root in people like us. You know, I believe truly that there's a foundation there that can be built from that is powerful, right? Because if done honestly and, and engaged with honestly, it's it's very clear, right? That's why it's still being defended to this very day. And now best they can do is like, well, it's archaic. It's from the, you know, Second Amendment. You don't understand. It's like, well, they clearly it's very clearly written. It's no confusion. You just pretend it's convoluted because you don't want you. That's the best they can do right now. Mm. now that's why it's so sound. But nonetheless, it can be changed and manipulated. I think the problem that comes to that and just to come off on a secondary point, but I'm glad you brought it up because it is important, is that what we see today is the that basically we have the, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, right? You know, same same document, essentially, just the addition of the of the amendments right on top of it. And from that point forward, we have to understand that there was even a ruling. I think it was Murberry versus Madison that anything repugnant to the Constitution is null and void. That's a ruling from the Supreme Court. Now, today, we have all sorts of laws that get passed and rules that are wildly contradictory or repugnant. Therefore, by the ruling of the Supreme Court in our precedent system, that's not even we shouldn't even have to follow that law. Right. But it's so far past that now that our very government is the problem, which, by the way, there's a, a there is a point to be made about, you know, abolishing it based on the fact that they're challenging their own ends. But of course, that's terrorist talk today, even though it's in our Constitution. But the real point is that we are watching this play out and people go, well, they made the amendments. Well, those didn't contradict the original Constitution, right? They were additional. They were supplementary. So now that we pass things, they argue, even amendments, by the way, that are contradictory to anything. Let's say my point, I guess, would be you can't just be like, we're going to vote to remove the Second Amendment. That's not even possible, right? They're based on what we really understand. The Constitution is not things the government gave us. When they wrote it, it was inherent, God-given. Whether or not they wrote that down, I know you know all this, they were they were valid, you know. So I, I again, long winded point. I agree wholeheartedly that these things matter and that they're sound in a way that we could use to expose what they're doing right now. I didn't actually know that story, by the way. I really I'm going to look more into that. I'm really fascinated by that. Like I've heard of things like I, I believe it was the, what the free state of Jackson. I think that was one example of sort of like an internal momentary situation where they were like independent from the 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 country. Right. Mm. But there's so many examples of that. And I think it's something to be learned from. Yeah. But sadly, today, the government wouldn't allow that. I think like Texas trying to secede, I doubt that will ever happen right? because they won't allow it. Right. Or even recognize that they were once their own country. I mean, yeah, there, there's so right. many, there's so many things that are, are really fascinating yet overlooked. And I'm glad I was able to teach you something because you've taught me many things through the course of listening to your show. And of course, in this conversation today, I even appreciate you. your explanation of that because I think it's rare to get a conversation about the Constitution that isn't being spoken by people who have some sort of political party bias inherently, right? There's this all this, like, unfortunately, bastardization of the Constitution sort of conflated towards traditionalism and republicanism, which is a certain viewpoint that I don't disagree with altogether, but I think the Constitution is... Uh, is not attached to that, right? I think people need to get that association out of their head that, you know, oh, the patriarchy is all bad and it's nonsense, right. you know? And and I didn't know that that repugnant part, the Mel Mulberry and... Or, versus Madison, yeah, it's important. Yeah, 
That is a very important case. So thank you, brother. Well, it, well, thank you. I appreciate that. I think what's important for people to understand is that the Constitution, to elaborate on that one point, is, is very, very well written. I mean, it's beautifully written and very, very exact. And that's the point, right? It's just that they, like, the way just, they're still trying to pretend like it means something else. That, that's why it was written the way it was, because it's de- undeniably clear. You can't act like, oh, it's just for hunting. It literally says the opposite, right? And so that's why they have such a problem with it, you know? And so today... We see the exact opposite, don't we? Their ridiculous legislation is like wildly convoluted, completely opaque and like, well, what does that word mean? Ah, it can mean whatever we want it to mean tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And even on top of the ridiculous words they use, they then always add comma for and other purposes. <laughs> it's like, oh, great. They right. shoehorn in whatever they want right there. You know, that's not how this was meant to go. Right. You know, and we've just seen, to your word, the bastardization of this stuff in every possible way for a long time now. So thanks for the conversation, man. I, re- I really enjoyed it. Of course, of course. And people should know if they've been listening that you are the man behind the last American vagabond. Excuse my New England accent that wants to mess that word up constantly. I don't know why we can't say vagabond around. Maybe because we're normally shouting it at someone. (laughs) So anyways, please folks, go to thelastamericanvagabond.com. Check out Ryan Christian's work. Anything else you want to plug? Obviously you have a rock fin, your pirate streaming, which is very interesting. So people can kind of catch your show on your audience or whoever's helping you youtube channel very cool great idea is there anywhere else you'd like to plug anything you want to mention before we go yeah definitely check 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 out our Substack, stack the tla vagabond Substack that scott scott from rebunked which is now part of t lab is, is managing that he's doing an outstanding job he's got another man on the street video coming out possibly today or coming up soon and that's that's just a great way to support all of our work everything's on the last that's the best place to go as i say often don't let these platforms, even the ones that we like, be the conduit between you and our information. Go to the source, right? Whatever your site is, your location, go directly there to follow. Uh, my mother thinks I'm crazy, right? Which I love your, I love your title, by the way. Thank you. Thank <laughs> That's you. the best way to do it. So thanks for having me on, brother. Right on. Well, folks, you heard the man. Go check it out. Thank you for being here and enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you just heard Ryan Christian on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Hold up. Wait a minute. Let's put some Last American Vagabond up in it. Mystic Mark on the Last American Vagabond coming up right now. Thank you to all the folks who support the show on Rockfin. That's R-O-K-F-I-N.com, Rockfin. And, of course, the Patreon, patreon.com. You can find all the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy bonus content there. That includes the Synchro Wisdom Dialogue as well as much more. We have The Scene. We have Illuminati Confirmed. And we also have <clears throat> a new Substack for you folks. Follow me on Substack wherever you are. Sign up on the Substack. There's going to be a bunch of new content there, so don't miss out. Now, stay tuned. Get engaged. You're about to hear me, yours truly, on The Last American Vagabond. Just want to give one quick shout out for our number one sponsor. That's right. It's The Hit Kit. The only way to get lit. Hit Kit. You have your blunt, your joint, whatever you're rolling up. You put it in your hit kit, store it away, neat, safe, and sound in your pocket right there. Is your lighter 
tucked away next to whatever you want to smoke, whatever you want to choke. There's no chance of anything in your pocket giving that sweet joint a poke because it's safe, it's secure, custom-made, American-made, independent, small-business-made hit kit. So go to hitkit.us get yourself a hit kit. Or go to Instagram and get in touch with the CEO of HitKit on Instagram. Enjoy the show. Also, I need to warn the listeners during the recording of this second conversation, there was some road work going on and my internet dropped out and was uh, not coming back on for quite a while. So we had to switch from the computer to my phone. So the audio changes, Brian talks a little bit, monologue, and then I come back and, uh, yeah, I'm using my phone audio. So there's no more uh, lagging after that, but the first 10 or 15 minutes are a little weird. So uh, bear with me there, and uh, thanks for tuning in. Welcome to Moving Target, my Rockfin exclusive. Joining me today is Mark Steves, the host and founder of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Love the title. To discuss today in general, like how his opinions have evolved throughout this entire, I mean, really, we could talk about pre-COVID, into COVID in general, like just how this COVID illusion has seemed to have shifted people's perspectives and how those opinions have evolved throughout his process with the podcast and how that may have created wedges in his personal life and, you know, do a little spotlight on his work and what that's done and overlapping with how I think a lot of us feel today where we are in a position right now where let's just take the people out there that are maintaining a stance on objectivity and referencing verifiable information while still questioning it. Not the people that are argue or subjectively throwing things out, which they have a right to say what they want. But the point is the people that are sticking to what they can prove and still being shouted down by their family, still being cast out as the one person who doesn't get the science and so on. We oh, There's a lot of us out there that understand what that's like. So let's have the person on who literally named his podcast after that. Mark Steves, how are you today, man? It's good talking with you again since we just had a conversation on your show. Yeah, dude. Thank you so much for inviting me here. Thank you, of course, for joining me on my show. I'm also on Rockfin. And uh, yeah, my family's thought I was crazy uh, way before COVID happened. Yeah, I was probably more prepared than, you know, your run of the mill red pill guy who got into this in the last five years, uh, not to brag or anything for you know most of the time it wasn't a a bragging point in any realm of society you know like Mm -hmm. there was no cool points from being a conspiracy theorist up until maybe two years ago did i that freeze on you i don't know if my connection is your audio is good it's a little bit choppy but your audio is coming through pretty good okay 
but yeah, just to pick up just to, on that. So, no worries. Just to pick up on that and go and and there's a little delay just so we can keep that in mind going forward. But just to pick up on what you said there, it's you know it's interesting to see that there has been a very interesting shift in this, and I don't know if I think that's intentional. Could be. But I think because of just kind of if we had to make a surface level point and a guess into it, that they're the clumsy way they've conducted themselves, which I think is because there's some kind of an end game point that they think they have to meet, that they've exposed a lot. You know, the COVID-19 agenda was very clumsy. Ukraine is still and all of them are still very clumsy. So it's an interesting point to think about is that, you know, that people before all of this. I mean, they love to frame them as, you know, conspiracy theorists, as people that were doing so for some nefarious reason or because there was money in it. I mean, that's never been the truth. First of all, the the profitability of lying and conspiracy theory today, maybe you could argue there's some kind of a difference there. But it's interesting to see that they really wanted people to think that it was nefarious, but there was really no benefit back then to point out, well, the government's lying about this, you know, and to continue to do so during that time just shows you a dedication to, at the very least, what you believe to be true. You know, so let, let's start with what was going on before COVID, because I'm interested by that. So what let's let's put it. Let's start from the beginning of your show in general. So why did you pick the name? Where did when did you start the podcast? And then also just tell us about the podcast itself and what else you do in general. I know you book for uh, Tinfoil Hat. I understand. Right. And let's go ahead and let us know. Yeah, right on. So. Like I said, it started a long time ago. I've always been interested in things that are strange, things that are uh out of the norm um i particularly got interested in military history politics at a strange age and of course being born in 2011 i'm losing you within an hour hold on a second i'm losing you no worries go ahead the it was good up until a moment ago but the audio started getting real bad right there for a second but Go ahead and take a second try, if you're going to try to fix something, but uh, either or just probably internet gremlins these days causing these things to happen constantly. But it is uh, an interesting that to what you were just saying. While I'm giving you a second to do that, it's you know the the topics that were that were considered conspiracy theory a long time ago. Most of these, the larger ones, to some degree or not, have been fleshed out. Geoengineering, fluoride in the water. Well, these things were like lunacy, crazy. You know. Very not that long ago. So, it, it, how you doing over there? Still don't have you. I hope we didn't lose you. That'd be too bad. I don't have to ad lib for another five. Hours, which yeah, I'm not too bad at doing that. But the, <laughs> I hope we get you back. So I was really excited to talk to you about this in general. About uh, and by by the way, those listening, this is one of the reasons why it's hard to do you know, to do live shows when there's interviews. I often tend to do interviews recorded and then play them for this exact reason because you can set up an entire show and then you know, technocracy happens, <laughs> then you, you lose connection. If you can hear me over there, Mark, try to jump out and jump back into the, of the stream. Maybe that'll help. But uh, one of the things I really wanted to, and I'll, let me take the moment actually, since uh, we lost you to just kind of shout out your work here. Here's the, the um, sub, subscribe star, right? The, the, my family thinks I'm crazy podcast. You can support him here. Here's the uh, T shot, the t-shirt shop where he's got different t-shirts on T public. Got to get you set up with uh truth clothing and then the Podbean list of the actual podcast <clears throat> those looks like he dropped out let's hope he comes back in that would be great but since i got you here for those that are on the rock feed let me actually look and see what we got live in general i don't tend to look on these we got six of you guys tuned in pb and jelly how you doing thank you for being here for those that are here with now that means that you are subscribed to the rockfin stream and the platform which thank you for the support because this will go out as a podcast 
a couple days later for everybody because you guys know how I feel about paywalls, but this is important because Rockfin is, you know, this is helping supporting the show in general. But the whole premise of today, hoping it comes back, is to talk about the interesting dynamic between the family unit. And I've, I've written about this long before COVID-19. I actually wrote a paper about this when I was in culinary school, in, in, in particular about the shifting dynamic of like the family dinner, the family unit. And, and you know, from a culinary kind of minded perspective, the, the, the kind of degradation of the family unit all the way back then and why that was. In, I mean, obviously, you can see my conspiratorial mindset all the way back then, long before I got into this, talking about how it was, you know, in, intentional to a degree and and how the the the, the t- television and the division of po- and political divisions drove people to, you know, basically the, the dad's up there in the office, the mom's down here doing something and they're the kids watching TV off the coffee table eating. while. And what happened is you effectively lose one of the most important moments in a family unit, which is whether it's dinner or whatever else, it's collecting and discussing, you know, how was your day? What did you learn? What did you think about? Let's challenge that idea. What did you, you learn in school? Well, here's what I think about that. And here's why I think that's different, accurate, correct, not correct. I mean, whatever. And having an actual conversation. This is one of the reasons I think that during holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and so on, they're so adamant about like, don't, don't go, don't get together with your family. Don't, don't, don't connect. Don't do close. Cause, cause X, Y, and Z. I really genuinely believe a part of that is to stop people from having these kind of conversations and, and challenging ideas, but also you lose that cohesive family connection, just caring about each other, wondering what's going on in their lives. And this is why you have things where they, you know, kids will do things and the parents are like, I had no idea they even thought like that. You know why? Because you're invested in your little, your little world focus, not to demonize people that, you know, it, it's a construct of the world today that's been created and it's very sad. So the point of what his podcast, you know, that his family thinks he's crazy. It's just, it's really interesting how hard that is today. I was actually just talking about this with my family, my mom and specifically about people in our family that are adamant, like in, in contradiction to things that we can straight up prove today, things that they've even admitted. And yet We'll push back on it based on something that was said in 2020 and go, oh, that whole thing's been debunked because he's never looked past that point. It looks like we got him back. Hey, brother. Hey, yeah, I don't know. I think I had uh, a program running. It looks like the restart fixed it. Very Good. sorry about that. Hey. No, no, no worries. No worries. So I was just kind of just riffing off, just kind of going off on the idea about the family unit. I was basically just saying that I wrote a paper when I was in culinary school from, from a culinary perspective but also jokingly saying you can see my kind of conspiratorial mindset all the way back then about how the family unit was, was kind of destroyed by the lack of the family dinner and how that was engineered to a degree. But like the, the fact, and again, it doesn't have to be the dinner, but just a point at which family co- collect, discuss, engage with each other. How was your day? What did you learn? Let's challenge those ideas. Let's discuss them. That doesn't really happen anymore in a lot of family units, you know? And so it was kind of this early point about how that was, how that's been happening. So it kind of just overlaps with what we're talking about today and in how, you know, arguably, like I can't speak for you, but from my perspective, and I agree, I argue you're probably doing the same thing, doing your best to to expose them to things that they might not think about and showing the source material and saying, look at this, think about this. And then having aggressive pushback, at least in my experience, with no willingness to engage in the information, you know? So let's go back to that first question, you know, your podcast, the name itself, how it started, and let's for fun, just like pluck out what do you think was like the first topic? Oh, shoot. <laughs> Looks like we lost him again. Ah, that's so frustrating. Well, let's see. I, wh- what I think I'm going to do for those watching 
is maybe just go off on a few other things for the next 30 minutes or so and hope we get him back just so since we're here and we're doing this and make it worth your while. So I'll get into some information that I'm, I'm probably going to talk about today later in the show today so you get like an insight. So, you know, value in general for the show, but hoping he comes back and we can jump back into it. But either way, interesting discussion. And I hope all of you out there, the most the real takeaway is always for these conversations. One of the things we made these wristbands for all the way back in the beginning of our, one of our earliest rallies, you're not alone. And that's the truth. And I think everybody really needs to, to see how clear that is today, that you're not alone. If you think masks don't work, you're not alone in the context of being statistically significant and reducing transmission. If you believe these injections are hurting people, you're not alone. And in fact, I strongly believe that you are the majority based on any number of metrics you can see. The most obvious being the most the last push for the boost to bivalent injection and having very, very, very low uptake on that, even from people. Like if you just take the percentage of people that had thus far followed the regimen, whatever that means, that just do what you're told until we tell you not to. And and looking at the percentage of how many of those have taken this, it's it's very, very, very low. I think last time we looked, I think it's 12% of just in general those that are eligible, which they include people that have never even gotten a shot, understand. So the point is that that number maybe goes up a little bit or down depending on what you include. But overall, it's it's incredible to see that the the stats out there today show you that you are the majority. How you doing? <laughs> Hey, gotcha. can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Can you hear me? I can. I can. Yeah. Sorry. I, uh, tried it from my phone. I don't know. I don't no know worries. what's going on with the connection. I, I think it must be my connection considering now that the phone is clear, but anyways, you could hear me. It probably sound not that no, great. Not, not that bad. I have a little bit of choppiness on the audio, but let's give it a shot and see what we got since we're here. Right? No, no worries. I think that a lot of this is, like the point that I always make is that whether or not this is some kind of manipulation, this is the type of thing that we will be seeing in the future of the technocratic censorship should they want that to be the case. This could just be a glitch. Who knows? But just consider that as we get rushed into this technocratic panopticon. But let's let's go back to the question of the beginning. If we can get we can just talk about the name of your podcast. Yeah. Why you named it that in general. And then, you know, like how the evolution pre COVID. But for fun, what was like the first topic? That was like the the big, you know, like, oh, you believe that? You're crazy. Like, what started that kind of conversation? You know, what was that first conspiracy theory, you know? Um, it's hard to boil it down to just one. I mean, mm-hmm. it's really just my personality in general and and what I've been interested in is just far afield from what generally is a <laughs> uh enjoyed by most people and b um thought about, right? Because a lot of my family, you know, they're they're type A, so to speak, right? They're into sports, they're into what's on television, right. and none of that ever really jived with me. So, you know, all of that to say I'm I'm sort of a black sheep and, and for whatever reason I had this strange interest, like I was saying before, in military and politics and then nine eleven happened and I got really fascinated with what was going on in the war in Iraq uh, at a young age, you know, like but from a patriotic side of it. Mm-hmm. And and as I got older, I started to realize, oh, I was lied to. That was propaganda. They were taking advantage of the fact that I was young and afraid and thinking these bad guys were out there and the other. So that just got my gears turning and made me think like, okay, so they lied to us about that. They pulled off this nationwide hoax. You know, 9-11, truthfully, was probably the first thing that 
got me, you know, in a red, uh, you know, hot water with my family because, mm-hmm. you know, being on the East Coast, you can't, you can't question it. You know, you're, you're, you're a terrorist if you question it, you know, like right. you're siding with the terrorists if you're questioning it. So right. um, that became very dis- divisive. And, you know, especially in that atmosphere, having conservative parents, you know, they, they, deemed me a bleeding heart liberal. I remember my grandfather calling me a bleeding heart liberal so many times. And luckily we, we, you know, he's still alive. Luckily we kind of saw eye to eye on Trump. Not that I was a fan of Trump, but I I pointed out the fact that, you know, Hey Papa, like you notice how this guy is universally hated by the media. You wonder why, you know, Mm -hmm. we started to have conversations about, you know, politics from that angle which was constructive as opposed to early in my life where it was combative it was debate and that sharpened me it made me a great communicator but it also alienated me from people who were not communicating at that level about things that you know teenagers probably aren't thinking about it in large numbers I was definitely in the minority it might be different now with podcasts but mm-hmm. yeah that's all long ways of of going around it and and eventually i got into martial arts i think martial arts and wrestling gave me the discipline to mm-hmm. stick with something long enough to get the most out of it that's a big problem in today's culture is we have this you know uh, abundance of information but a reduction of time right that's the false paradigm yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks that they don't have enough time. So they're like, well, I'll just watch something short and that I'll learn from that. But yes. really, you know, what taught me the most after I dropped out of college in 2012 was reading and listening. And mm-hmm. at that time, I didn't know about podcasts. I didn't know they existed. But I found this whole archive of lectures uh, from a guy named Joseph Campbell. And that kind of reignited my interest in history and mythology. And although today I probably wouldn't agree with a lot of what Joseph Campbell's interpretations were, it, mm-hmm. it got the the ball rolling to look at the world in a much different way. Because like I had mentioned, from a young age, I had this political conspiracy sort of mindset, which, you know, wasn't very healthy, to be honest. It wasn't a helpful you know, it made me paranoid. It made me distrustful of authority. It probably set me on a path where, you know, uh, for worse or for better without the podcast, I probably wouldn't have the best career choices in front of me. Right. So, uh, that's again, something I really am grateful for now because I've learned that made me into who I am. But at that age, you know, kind of becoming, uh, dancing with the fringe elements of society is not a good sign, right? So um, this is all kind of leading up to me here in New Haven, Connecticut, turning my eyes onto Skull and Bones. And, you know, around this time, I had a bunch of different odd jobs. You know, I was a delivery guy for a bakery. I was working at a farmer's market. I was a Chinese food delivery guy at one point. So I did a bunch of things that put me in odd situations. And some of these situations led me to learn about a group called Skull and Bones. And um, that's been my big point of research lately. But 
if it wasn't for the podcast, I wouldn't really have time to get into this stuff, right? Because mm-hmm. before the podcast, my family thinks I'm crazy. Uh, as, as I said, I was a delivery driver and I was listening to eight to 10 hours of podcast a day, right? This is after I discovered podcasting and Sam Tripoli was obviously someone that I was a big fan of. And I went to one of his shows in New York City. And at that point in my life, I was listening to his show. I was thinking to Sam, in my mind, I was thinking, oh, Sam should really have this spiritual book because he had mentioned some things on his show that sort of touched on it, but I didn't quite feel like anyone had brought him the hermetic principles on his show. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to give him this book. It has the hermetic principles in it. It's called The Kabbalion, K-Y-B-A-L-I-O-N anyone who's interested it's a it's a curious book it's written by three anonymous authors um you know it's 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 sort of a myth mythologized text so i give it to him and i'm just like any other fan at this point you know he's like oh cool thank you so much and you know nice to meet you and sam now that i know him well he's just as gracious as he is now as he was then towards his mm-hmm. fans. He's a very kind guy, especially if you go see his shows or support him. So anyways, I talked to him for really briefly and then I messaged him on his Patreon. I said, Hey, did you read that book I gave you? And he said, you know, Oh no, I didn't have time, but come on my show and tell me about it. So that, that kind of nice. got me into Sam's world on his Patreon. And he had me a bunch of times on his premium content. And then one thing led to another he asked me who I should have on his new spiritual podcast. And I gave him a list so long, he probably felt like he needed to hire me to do it myself, you know, do it for <laughs> him. So, you know, that kind of got me into working with Sam. And at that point in time, I had played around with making my own podcast, but I didn't really commit to anything serious. Uh, and Sam really kind of, uh, A, gave me the opportunity and B, uh, in a weird way, inspired the title because. As I got this cool new weird job from Sam during the height of the pandemic, I was psyched because I was going through all this crap at my job with the masks and all the things that they were telling us they were going to do. And, you know, it was Amazon. So it was, you know, mm-hmm. all the way up to the top as you can get. It was a good paying job, but it was like, you know, for the beast itself. So right. <laughs> and I was in the belly of it and, and, I decided, okay, well, I have this opportunity with Sam. It doesn't pay much, but I'm going to, you know, move in that direction, take a risk and see what happens, you know? And mm-hmm. luckily I've done well enough to not be <laughs> living on the streets. Uh, not great, but definitely well enough to where I'm like, wow, this is, this is what it's like to direct your own life or, or right. blaze your own trail, you know? And I, right. I'm really grateful to, you know, have, you know, very few bosses and one of them's a, a famous comedian. Right. So, um, but my other bosses are people who listen to my show in a way. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, but as I was saying, when I told my family, Oh, I'm quitting my job as delivery guy to work for some comedian in Los Angeles, they like, I live in Connecticut. So, you know, I can't just drive to go see Sam, you know, <laughs> where am mm-hmm. I going to get my paychecks? You know, they're like, what, you know, you're going to work for a guy in, in California. And right. I'm like, yeah, it's it's going to be great. And 
as I was driving home that day, I'm like, wow, my family thinks I'm crazy. And that's when it really <laughs> just like hit me like hard. Awesome. And, and because at that point in time, you know, obviously with the pandemic, people were scared and someone who isn't like me who didn't have 10 years of research to be like no they're lying to us and I know it for sure and here's why and there's experts who know more than me and you know so many people who are for the most part common sense free thinkers people who at this point in time are over it they know what's up <laughs> especially right. here in Connecticut you know you think people are one way because of the the Greenwich area, but the rest of Connecticut's very conservative and and has their mind uh, on the money with this thing. But anyways, yeah, it was it wasn't the wasn't the you know biggest conversation because there's sort of a suppression with these topics in the family atmosphere. You know, you, you, you feel like, Oh, if I, if I to bring this up, it's like the fly in the ointment or, you know, the, but at that point it was the elephant in the room. Right. And especially when it came down to like, Oh, we're canceling Thanksgiving and we're canceling Christmas. I mean, I got very vocal about it with my family and said like, well, this is why I disagree with that. You know, here's some evidence and, didn't sway them at all because they knew Mark is the crazy guy. Mark is the one who's always believed in this stuff. So if, and if, if anything, it almost discredited me amongst my family that's, to, that's to be, to work. yeah. So, you know, I kind of saw all sides of it uh, after that. And that's why I'm especially grateful for all the new friends I've made in the podcast world. And that's partly why I started Alt Media United, a podcast cooperative, uh, mm -hmm. shortly after I started working with Sam, uh, I got into working with Alex Karras of the Skeptical Podcast. He's been doing his podcast since 2007. And him and I started uh, the Alt Media Cooperative basically to give people a, a site where, you know, <clears throat> your podcast can be found. Because so many mm -hmm. of these apps that people listen to podcasts on they shadow ban, censor, you know, I've, I've, my podcast luckily has broken the top 20 in the philosophy category in the United States. But then nice. very quickly, I had a show that was sort of, you know, a little bit dicey and it dropped mm -hmm. all the way to 90. And I'm like, I was in the top 20 only a week ago. Now, all of a sudden I'm in the low 90s. Like, what is going on there? So you know, and that's very recent. But back then, when I first started doing this and started making connections, I realized like, OK, there's no competition in this podcast thing. We're all working together. A rising tide raises all ships. So mm. let's create an atmosphere where we can promote each other. We can sort of maybe pool resources if necessary and do it in a way where it doesn't compromise anybody's independence and integrity, yes. right? Because that's the number one thing is you don't have to come to me to get paid to do your podcast. That's not what Alt Media United or really any podcast group should ever be about. Because I think if you have the right understanding of how to use your technology in front of you, your laptop, even your phone, uh, and then whatever equipment you add to that scenario, mm -hmm. 
you can pay for a new house. You could pay for your mortgage. You could pay for a new car. You know, like you can you can find financial independence doing what you love. It might not be podcasting, but it in this new, you know, fourth industrial revolution, new world, we're going to have to take those tools that they're using against us and use them for our own benefit. And I think podcasting, at least for me, given my skill set, my interests, it was an, an, a natural fit, you know, and yeah. it's been really cool to, to make friends in this community who have that same, um, you know, a skill set, motivation, discipline and goals, because, you know, quite honestly, there's a small percentage of us in the human population who are really the type to get active, get mobile, and maybe even have the integrity to stick with these things when you're getting, you know, hit on all sides, the propaganda, the double-sided nature to these things where, you know, maybe your family agrees with you on one angle, but then they, they, they think you're nuts on the other thing. You know, they, they placate and, and say to your face like, Oh yeah, we trust that. Yeah. Okay. And then next thing you know, they turn around, they got a, whatever because they trusted their doctor over the article you sent them or you know and it it comes down to fear you know and i I think unfortunately we live in a a society where cowardice is encouraged and bravery is uh discouraged you know and and maybe that's because of what's that I was just going to say they just it's Orwellian in nature that they call them the inverse, right? They don't name it yeah. cowardice. They just name cowardice as courage when they point at it in certain contexts, you know? Right. I, right. I really like the, the alt media United thing. I think someone even put that in front of me the other day, actually. And I, we should connect on this in general because we're, we're working on what pirate stream media, which is kind of the exactly what you're talking about. The, the pirate radio analogy, right? Finding a way to, to broadcast that in a way that won't be suppressed or shut down. And we, but we're kind of aiming it at like a media level, like broadcast level, right? So like these things are, they, they're synergistic, right? We should, we should, we should find a way to connect this because it's important. The more, the better, right? Same kind of idea. And I love the way that I love that you focused on the idea of, you know, it's important that we work together and cross, you know, our, our, polonizer audiences and so on. But the, one of the biggest problems of that in the past has been that people, and that, you know, rightly so, you know, you spend your, your time building something and then you feel that that gets, you know, chipped away at in some way when you try to become part of something larger, you know, and that is long, it's important that people can maintain their independence while doing this, you know, so it's mm. not all or nothing or one or the other. So I love the way that you frame that. Cause that's exactly how we're thinking about this, you know? So anyway, just gra- I'm glad to see that. And I think we need more of that going forward. I had a couple of questions in general about uh, like I thought it was an interesting difference where during the Trump t- era, whatever that is even is, if I feel like we're still in that time frame, but the the idea that during that Trump administration that you in fact found a way to break through with your father during that time, where it's the pretty much the inverse for most people, you know, that during mm. that time frame, specifically on that topic, it was it was the kind of the, the fervor of that. You know, it was very hard to get someone to see one thing or the other when they were seeing what they thought was the, it's the same thing with in the midst of the COVID discussion. Like right now it's becoming more easy to get people to open their minds, still very difficult, but in the peak, it was, it, don't even try. I mean, it was like, it was just completely impossible. Sort of like the nine 11 point you made that, you know, don't even bring it up. You're a terrorist. You know, it's like, okay, we'll wait a year and then we'll have another constructive conversation. I just thought that was interesting, you know? And so it's, it's good to see that, like, I think that shows you that there shows all of us that there are agendas that in their own way actually have over the last so many years 
forced people to see the truth. And I don't think mm. that's intentional. You know what I mean? Do, do you see any of that happening throughout all this? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I have a very I'm grateful to have a, a variety of perspectives in my life from my mother to my father, you know, and both of their parents. My mother's parents actually grew up in Canada and, and immigrated to Connecticut. And on my father's side, they go back a couple generations and, and they've worked in jobs like firefighter, school teacher, water company, you know, uh, public zonings. So on my dad's side of the family, there are sort of this, uh, there's this tendency to forgive the state. There's this tendency to accept the government, even if it is oppressive or even if you don't agree. There's a tendency to believe in the system, believe in the two-party narrative. It's, and it's with Trump, thing, right? Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's yeah. well, it's, it's not, it's not patriotic as much as it is cultural to, you know, local, small community. I mean, wherever you are in this country, I think cities is a little different for sure. You have a different atmosphere in cities, but I grew up in what you could call like a suburb between cities and uh, and for the most part, you know, blue collar. And, and I would say it's not really even like patriotism as much as it's like, you know, it's all, you know, you know, well, like I don't do. really think they're thinking about it on the level of like, well, I'm I'm rooting for America because I'm not a communist. You know, it's just like, well, we root for America because yeah. we're American, you know, right. like See, that, it, real quickly. That's an interesting thing that pe like this is a small example of what we're always like, that people are just going through the motions of what they think they're supposed to be doing. And I mm. think that point without you can't talk about that without acknowledging why that's happening, that people, you know, think that their neighbors will see them saying or doing the wrong thing. And that will reflect on, you know, or maybe a larger point. But right. that's interesting that it comes down to just doing what you're supposed to do well, and, and I how think, that comes from. I think a patriotic person is someone who participates in patriotism in some way. And I think there's a great way to do that. I mean, and there's other, I mean, there's a whole spectrum of ways to do that. There's people who participate in civil war reenactments. I mean, that's patriotic to a certain degree. My family, I mean, they got riled up when 9-11 happened. That wasn't because they're patriotic. That's because everybody got programmed to be patriotic right. at that point in well, time, right? And I would, so you, you should add, too, that it's perceived patriotism, too. Like, mm. we're not arguing that these actions are necessarily patriotic. You could feel right. that way. It's up to you to decide, just to make that clear for people, that, but yeah. that they perceive that as being the patriotic thing to do in some cases, and that's why they would do it. But so it, it overlap, you think? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the uh, the the point overall is with Trump, you know, it wasn't that like, oh, all of a sudden for the first time we saw eye to eye, it was like they recognized that I wasn't wrong when I was bringing up a point that had all of the hallmarks of all of the points I'd made in the past, right? It, was, it didn't change. My story didn't right. change, but I had a better case than ever for an example to show why I was thinking this way, right? Look at this mm -hmm. guy. He's the president. We elected him. Look at how he's being treated. And it was very clear, you know, they didn't need me to explain it to him, but I was able to come in and have that sort of validation temporarily from yeah. certain family members. And, and it allowed for the discussion. But I think that's why, you know, things that were very extreme, like QAnon, um, mm -hmm. 
and I'm not going to say that this is extreme because there are real criminals who are guilty of this, but I think it got conflated, you know, the whole, um, what's it called? Pizza gate, right? That oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't disagree with some of the conspiracy theories about that place at all, but I also right. think that there's a certain um, distasteful energy that that conversation brings up that unfortunately makes less people interested for whatever reason in helping. And, you know, we need more I'm, people. I'm convinced, I'm convinced that there was an agenda over the top of very mm. real things to make it look ridiculous. And there, you know, right. I'm sure we could talk about that for hours, but I'm glad you brought that up. Cause it's, it's one of the perfect examples of how these things, how truth can be buried by a bunch of propaganda nonsense and the misrepresentation of what the core value of the conversation is in the corporate right. media. It's, it's painful. Well, and, and that's the real issue with that one in particular is because there are real victims in that situation and they get used mm -hmm. to conflate uh, the situation. And I don't disagree with people who claim that, you know, maybe these politicians are doing crazy, you know, blood sacrifice rituals. I think there's a possibility, there's a probability there. Um, mm -hmm. But again, I don't think that's the conversation that you start with when you're talking right. to somebody who's on the fence, right? You know, because if we're going to eventually, you know, make any headway with taking the truth away from authority and bringing it back to the people, taking the power along with mm -hmm. that truth, you know, we can't just like black pill people. And I hate to use that tired uh, analogy, but people understand what I mean by that. Like there's red pill, there's black pill. Obviously, black pills, the harsher of the two and blue pills, the opposite of what we're trying to do here. Um, well, and do, do me a yeah. favor. Do me a favor. Flesh, let's flesh that out for me, because I, I this is an interesting conversation about how terms. Well, obviously, red, blue, red pill, blue pill goes back to like the matrix conversation, right? The idea of awake, going awake, awakening and accepting harsh truths or going back to sleep. Then all of a sudden there was this black pill conversation that people added to it, which as far as this, the surface level mainstream, if you just look up what black pill means, it's sort of a negative thing. It's sort of mm. like a, a negative for the person that it's happening to, and not even in the way that it's because it's uncomfortable. So what do you perceive as the word of the term black pill meaning in, in, as, as it's presented to people? Because I honestly don't know. Like I'm, I'm, I, I find it to be a superfluous addition. Like why do we need a black pill conversation? Red and blue sums it all up. It's either waking up or going back to sleep. To add another layer to it is a partisan thing. That's how I've always perceived it. So what do you think? Yeah, it's just an emotional qualifier. That's all. I mm -hmm. think it's reactionaryism, you know, like there are yeah. there are young people who got uh red pilled. Maybe they felt like, you know, some kind of doom from that. I I don't ever feel anything but optimism. I mean, as dark as some of these things get, I feel like learning about the truth or learning about what they don't want us to know and having the common sense or the rationale, the logic to look at the facts and decide for yourself what you think's going on. Really ask yourself, trust your intuition. I think that's the most optimistic because when I'm doing that, I know I'm not being controlled. I know the government doesn't have their thumb over me, right? So right. I think more people need to get objectivity. Sorry, go ahead. There's a delay. Hmm. No, no, no. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think more people need to understand that. Unfortunately, you know, People have written books about this, John Kleizek's uh, School World Order and, and many other 
you know, great authors have, have contributed to this sort of um, breakdown of education system in the United States. And it's no surprise that we're like, what, 10th or something in the nation, you know, in the list of nations, education rankings, right? So we're being purposefully manipulated to not think critically, not learn about things that are relevant to our modern day that are of you know recent history and i even think you know as much as i'm a fan of this topic i think it's propaganda tartaria the old world i think there's a lot of propaganda within that genre yes there's true information and maybe some people will be upset with that me saying that but i think the the idea that all of our history has been reset only 200 years ago and everything before that is a lie is nonsense and that's the kind of thing that a government would want to propagandize people about because they're they're doing the same things out of a playbook that the roman emperors did they're doing pharaoh moves right so they don't want us to know what the roman emperors and the pharaohs got away with because they're kind of repeat history right so they want to delete history and i think that's a really big danger right now now that we're moving into the internet age and things literally can be erased with the click Absolutely. of a button uh, and then that's why in a different way with deep fake technology too that's the craziest part we're at a whole nother level now we're not just deleting it but redesigning it and re-putting it back and putting it back out in a different way i'm i yeah. think i feel like it's been happening a long time right i mean you can go back to stalin in that classic picture where somebody's basically etched you know photoshopped out of his photo all the way back then, you know, and then at now today consider that they just add more people next to him. You know, it's like, my God, think about what that I argue when we see these collapses, like where YouTube goes dark the few times we've seen that happen. I'm like, what did they just change on a massive scale? Like, what did they just wipe out or add to history that we don't even recognize right now in small ways? Just thinking about that, it's possible. You know, that, that's a great mm. point you make there though. So do you think that the, uh, the argument of that being, you know, some the like the conspiracy theory about whether or not history is just, you know, co-opted or changed, that that is a lie to hide that the truth is there. Is that what you're saying? Is it interesting? Because I'm, you know, always question everything, but I think that's an interesting point. Yeah, I think history is a long, 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 long story, and it takes really smart mm -hmm. people to sift through it sometimes. And, and I think, you know, with the Internet, they know that there are very smart people out there who are going outside of the university system to learn about history. So of course they right. want to try to muddy the water and throw all kinds of junk in it because they don't want podcasters saying, Hey, look at what the Romans did this time and this time and this time and this time. Look at what they said here. Doesn't it seem similar to what they're doing now? Or, you know, and I'm, I'm picking on the Romans. We could look at the Chinese emperor empire. They've right. done some stuff. You know, we could look at the, the Aztec empire. They've done some stuff, right? So it's not just, it's not just one empire. I'm, I'm not blaming any one empire, but I'm saying history in general is a wealth, uh, uh, a wellspring <laughs> that we need to tap. That's why I have so many books behind me uh, because they can't deep fake books. They can't go in right. and, and edit any of my books. They're on my shelf and my door right. is locked. So uh, yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of books and, and people, I think, unfortunately, going back to the technology aspect, as much as we have an abundance of information, we have a reduction of time and, you know, they're not, incentivizing children to spend time reading books as much as they should be uh, unless there's a drag queen reading it to them of course and then it's okay, oh my right? god <laughs> yeah 
Well, that's another thing. I'm not going to bu- sit here and bully fiction, you know, because I'm not a fan of fiction. Personally, when I was a kid, I didn't like fiction very much after a certain age. And I felt like that was appropriate. I felt like I grew out of it. And I was surprised to see people reading fiction into high school because I'm thinking to myself, I like reading about what's going on in the world. You know, I I would sit sometimes with an encyclopedia and just find a random thing, you know. And so I'm a weird guy. But I think that, unfortunately, that's by design to make guys like me weird. Right. So yeah, where absolutely. learning is is not, you know, not the cool in in vogue thing. <laughs> it, it com- Exactly. I mean, so exactly right. And it comes back to this point that we're seeing literally everywhere you look today. Objectivity is being framed as extremism. It's mm. mind blowing. Right. Where you're, you're either on one side of the partisan field, which then they call those the edges of that extreme. But then if you're in the middle, basically going, uh, you want to share something? Oh, you're bringing no. it back. Yeah, I'm just going to see if my connection's any better. Yeah. I don't, it looks like it's working. I'm doubling up. But what, what I was saying was, uh, I, I got the other one pulled down. What I was saying, though, is that, you know, that objectivity is being framed as extremism, you know, and where we're literally in the middle just basically going like, you know, let's wait for more evidence. And it's like, you're crazy. You're extreme. Like, I mean, it's it's everywhere I'm seeing this stuff today and everywhere you post these comments, like the, I'm, uh, the example foremost, my, the forefront of my mind is the Twitter files and how it's just like everybody's jumping on this despite no source material yet being added. N- could you hear me that whole time just in case? Just just tried to test it, but uh, okay. no. Well, either way, the, my, the point is the objectivity being the problem for them, which overlaps with what you were saying, that, you know, anybody out there that's like, like at that time being a child that is, or a young adult at a point where you're like more interested in like vetting what they're saying and reading history, <laughs> they're, they're terrified of that. Like they want you to go through their regimen, their Prussian-based school system, come out a working obedient, you know, obedient worker in the, in the tri- triage medical system, you know, that everything we deal with is about keeping you in the system you know right and so it's like we out there we can be objective and just simply even people that are continuing to let's just say people their entire career have shown that they are on your side as you perceive that the next thing they do you should question it you should say is that right could they be wrong are they lying i don't know why that's not just logic today you know and i think that's what they're so afraid of is getting rid of this you know the family conversing and saying like what do you think is it possible and and engaging with those ideas no matter whether they're outside what you think is normal you know it's just it's mm. so clear that, that is like the the kryptonite to what they're doing today yeah yeah no i i do think that uh the trail is there to be traced uh i think that they can't erase history they can't um erase their crimes out of history so to speak i think they can only separate themselves with time and hope that people are ignorant enough to uh to wait long enough so that when they finally you know catch on to it it's it's generations later uh i was just looking at cecil Rhodes last night and uh this strange story of a comedian, go figure, named uh, Barney Barnato, who worked with Cecil Rhodes, or really was more of a rival, uh, until Cecil Rhodes sort of tricked him and then suicided him, right? And uh, he's one of the many unsolved historical deaths. I don't know how I found myself on that Wikipedia page, but it's an interesting Wikipedia page. Um, And yeah, like, I think that's really... You know, just one little fascinating tidbit 
amongst the many things that you can find if you're just curious enough to go searching on the internet and know what to look for. I mean, personally, I stumbled into this understanding at college when I was in community college in New Haven, Connecticut. Um, I went to a community college right next door to Yale University. So uh, during my between class periods, I would wander around town and naturally I was in Yale's campus. They're like the impression on New Haven. I mean, really New Haven doesn't have a cultural identity really anymore outside of Yale. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it used to be kind of a jazz center, cultural, sort of like Italian kind of neighborhood. And it's still there, but it's very muted by Yale's dominating presence and right. the presence of blight and crime that promulgates the surroundings because Yale is literally a parasite on New Haven. Uh, but that's a different topic. I was in Yale, you know, sifting around through their campus. And uh, I ran into a very curious guy from Arizona, an Apache, a guy who happened to be homeless. And he happened to tell me this very strange story that, you know, and kind of being a little coy here, he became, him and I are still friends to this day, 10 years later. Um, He became sort of like a mentor to me and he taught me about this one really interesting story about Geronimo and uh, my friend Thomas actually printed a comic book called Geronimo's Grave if anybody likes comic books and still reads comic books you can go to uh, paranoidamerican.com and get that comic book but he told me this story about Geronimo the great Apache whose skull and femur bones were robbed from his grave and taken to the tomb in new haven and he told me that's why he moved to new haven from arizona and i was perplexed at you know 18 i'm like wow what are you talking about Mm -hmm. you know is are you you know like i had heard stuff about skull and bones but i had never heard it from anybody in person and Mm -hmm. uh yeah, he broke down a lot of stuff for me and and set me on this kind of synchronistic journey. As I was telling you before, uh, being a bakery delivery guy, I actually delivered to various um, school buildings throughout Yale's campus. So I was kind of like an inside man. I was just kind of floating around with this knowledge of what to look out for and and just kind of enjoying the opportunity to you know be amongst a very privileged very uh, elite group of people to be honest i mean the uh, extravagance is is hard to not notice when you're yeah. in this campus but you know that being said it was synchronistic like for example i was in the former home of george hw bush the day he died or at least the day it was announced he died right and i i didn't know that was his home until mm-hmm. i was walking out of the building and looking down at the local newspaper, the campus newspaper, and it said, former resident of New Haven, 88 Hill House Avenue, passed away, George H.W. Bush. Uh, and I'm like, whoa, George H.W. Bush, president, skull and bones. I'm in his yeah. house, and I've been going through his house for months, you know, and just dropping off these pastries every Tuesday. So, you know, things like that kind of 
kick fired me so, or got me into uh, researching and, you know, synchromistically is, is a word that I learned about through podcasting. And mm -hmm. I, I didn't realize this is how I approached my research until I learned that there are other people like me out there talking about this stuff on podcasts. And, and I'm very grateful to those people. Some of them have become my friends even because right. they've taught me a bunch, you know, a bunch mm -hmm. of, of different things about the rest of the country and the rest of the world that I didn't know about. And all of those have uh, worked themselves into what I'm doing now with my research into skull and bones and really disappointed that my connection is so crappy today. I don't know. It's never been like this. And I had a, a, a slideshow I wanted to show you. Um, and it, my computer's like not letting me do it. So I, I apologize to you and your audience that I'm no not uh, here at my best. No worry. It was only right in the beginning that it was cut. the whole, this on your phone has been pretty solid, but you know, if, if you, if you send it to me, I'll include it show notes. Also, you cool. should send me, send me a link when we're done. If you've done any, like the, what you think are your best episodes, like going into this topic, you know, and stuff you've seen that that would be interesting to people, you know, the, the, the overall over interesting point is just, you know, that there's such an, a wealth of information out there and yeah some of that could be wrong some of it could be you know incomplete that's just the way of the world you know the idea that we're supposed to only look at authoritative sources whatever that even means in their definition because whatever they tell you that means this will be the full fit we know that's not true historically you can prove that's almost never the case usually it's the other way around and whether that may have changed today is you know the point is question it that's simple and but listen and look into these alternative sources and in in ca these cases your podcast you know other people out there doing shows like this listen engage ask questions because you'll find some interesting things that will open your mind to entire possibilities entire conversations you didn't even consider before that and that's what i love about this kind of that again this is what they're so afraid of they're afraid of people opening their mind to different possibilities and they really need people to stay inside the lines you know which is where we'll kind of end on in general is i think that where this goes is the, the technocratic level of this we're talking about the censorship and really a classic line that i've said and a classic phrase has been said for a long time i just kind of say that the the uh how did i phrase it before that the history is written by the winning hand right it's been said many times throughout history right the idea is that these people that are in control whether through a legal war, which is what we're seeing today, you know, they're the ones that historically have been writing down the history that we then engage with. And it's just as likely as anything else that that's completely bastardized and wrong and misrepresented, like the official story of 9-11 or the Iraq war, or WMDs. I mean, it's like it's amazing we can't you know, engage with that. The point is, go, some people can't. The point is going into the technocratic future they're building. That's going to that, that is the absolute. What's the right word to put in there? It's just that that is the end of any kind of pushback there if they achieve what they're going to do, because then there's no like you're saying the books, the the references, the kind of things that we could rely on that might not be bastardized and manipulated. That will become the time of the past. Everything will be tightly controlled through the flow of information. You'll be social credit boxed out of certain things. Maybe you won't even be able to get in a library if you don't have your ID, right? Your digital ID. Like that's where this stuff goes, assuming there's even libraries left at that point, right? I'm definitely very concerned about that. And it's the kind of work like we're doing, like you're doing, like people out there that are just trying to remain objective that they're trying to focus on first. So I just well, appreciate you taking the time to talk about this today. So what do you think about that going into the future? Yeah. And, you know, I would say stone, man, stone is immortal. Right. And, and if you look at the real people in charge, they 
put their message in stone because they know stone is not going to change. I think that's why the Georgia Guidestones blew up, right? I mean, stone's not indestructible, but it's more mm-hmm. permanent than paper and all that, right? So I would I would turn people on to, to that and say, you know, look at the look at, you know, who's building what they're building what kind of art, what kind of structures, what kind of message are they trying to send? I think that's, you know, slightly joking here, but I think that's like the, the thing that like, I was saying something to my girlfriend the other day, like we're kind of living in a weird time, like one foot in the analog and one foot in the digital, like, you know, a hundred, 200 years from now, they might just be able to, you know, render a realm and like, at that point will we be the last people to know what the real realm was like or will this ever like this isn't a real realm at that point right because it's all they're all just so i think we're heading into weird territory i think the the comforting thing for me is going into the past because it seems less it's gonna sound crazy but it seems less uh crazy in the past than it does what we're heading for in the future i don't think um, people but, think it's that crazy i think everybody's I, I mean i've never seen this many people at least pushing back on the current moment i think everybody's mm-hmm. pretty terrified about where they think they are right now there's a pretty effed up things in the his, in history but at least they were happening for the most part right in front of you like this stuff there seems like there's this entire like we're just looking through the crack of the door and we're just mm-hmm. starting to see how this un this insurmountable problem you know so i i know i think more people agree with you than you think well, and, and again, you know, as I was saying earlier, when you look to history, you see what could be happening in the future. So I think actually by going in reverse, we might push that door a little further wide open and reveal that, you know, nothing's new under the sun. And and these Klaus Schwabs are just trying to fulfill the, the you know, hopes and dreams of who they think they're related to some Octavius, whoever from the Roman Empire, you know, like that's right. kind of. I think when you put it in that perspective of like, well, they're just human beings too. I don't negate the possibility that there are entities of any origin, extraterrestrial, interdimensional. I don't know. I mean, that is a part of this whole outlook on conspiracies. There's that element of, well, what about the non-human element? And, you know, I think there's, sort of some fear in that that might be again another one of these things that's less helpful than it is you know constructive right we want to be constructive and actually make an impact on our local government and if we tell our friends that well it's because reptilians are running the government that's not gonna you know that's not gonna help right i I think if people are already at the point where they they accept that possibly okay maybe open that conversation up but we need to start to be more i'm speaking for myself i don't want to be prescriptive and tell anybody what to do but personally i need to be more um grounded in that and not so worried about okay it's aliens and they're gonna you know like because those things until i experience them you know, it's harder to prove. What I can prove is economic oppression. I could drive down the the street and see that, you know, what I can prove is, you know, uh, less jobs, you know, there's plenty of factories just along this river valley that I'm on where 
they're just shut down because right. all the jobs went somewhere else, you know, and, and people act like that's only in the Rust Belt in the Midwest. No, there's a Rust Belt up here in New England, too. And, you know, it, it's it's like I said, Yale is is one thing, but Yale is a, a microcosm. It represents mm -hmm. what's really going on in America because Yale is a pre-American institution. Yale's been around right. since the 1717, I think, around there, 1717, which is curiously the same year Freemasonry officially started. But uh, yeah, Yale, Yale is a pre-American institution, and it's curiously sympathetic to foreign foreign interests so you know i'm not suggesting anything but i do think that we need to start to look at some of these universities and ask ourselves like you know how american are these institutions and what are they teaching our children you know because yeah. it doesn't look like we're creating productive members of society anymore i mean there was a certain point where we we were creating worker bees and i think that's different but it, we're not, you know, I, we, we've hit the apex of, of universities. I think we need to start to call these institutions yeah. into question because they're very uh, wealthy. You know, they have a lot of money and they're not using it wisely, in my opinion. But what do I know? I'm a college dropout. <laughs> well, I, I think to, to sum it up, I think that, you know, it's it's just about having skepticism about them. Like, look, I, I put I question whether these are ever been the right direction for most people. And that's just on a general part, like taking at face value, what they claim they're actually even trying to accomplish. Like that's just basic college in the way that it's per perceived. I don't even know if that's necessary or right for most people. Cause I mean, it's, there's a whole conversation to be had there, but taking it to the next level, you know, about whether their intentions are in, are what we think that they are and whether you think that's a foreign entity or not, which, and that's very relevant and important for a lot of different reasons, but just simply that it, it's, it, if you're shaping the minds of these people in very, I mean, you could just take like the woke policies today and how that is really influencing a certain generation. It's very concerning seeing as how most people seem to at very least question what that comes from and the validity of some of these mindsets, but yet it seems pretty ubiquitous in the, in the college fear that's crazy it doesn't even line up with most people want or think but to, to again to, to kind of wrap it up i think you know to, let's just take the specific like reptilian point there you know i look it's we should be asking these questions no matter how crazy you think that is personally i don't think that's the case but i i, I like you could take overlap that with like the david ike kind of the, the the actual perception of what he brings up not that there are reptiles in human skin but there's more of a nuanced perspective on what that means but the point is ask questions because if we can't acknowledge that it's possible that our history was written incorrectly and that there was more going on before this or other civilizations we don't know about i mean there is some level of evidence of these things the point is not that you have to blindly follow one or the other just be open to different possibilities you know i mean right. it, this is the interesting thing we're seeing today that now People are suddenly starting to open their minds to things like, you know, like just taking something that should have been a basic possibility from the beginning is that could vaccinations hurt people? Like, well, obviously, they always have been to a degree. We should have been debating on how much. But then it became you're not even allowed to bring it up even before COVID. Right. But now people are like, maybe they are. Maybe there are Nazis in Ukraine. Maybe this is happening. Right. Opening their mind to this. And I think it's interesting because moments ago that was off limits. That was the reptile conversation. Now, the point is push the boundary. Go to the next conversation. Ask whether or not this happened. Ask whether or not we even understand this correctly. The problem is that we have drawn these artificial lines around us, you know, and that just that right now is outside the realm of what we're supposed to be asking. But there shouldn't be a line, right? We should always be open to asking these questions. 
And that's why I enjoyed this conversation today. And I think that your podcast is, you know, definitely something people should check out, open people's minds to some things. Like I, if you look at my older work, I was, I loved, and I still do getting into some really interesting conversation. I'll talk about anything. I'll get into the craziest thing. As, because the problem is today people are afraid of that because then you think you get, you get framed as the guy who believes or is willing to entertain these things. Well, yeah, that's me. I'm willing to entertain anything, but I'll question everything, right? Mm-hmm. But today I've gotten a lot more focused on politics and, and that's kind of the show, but I, I'm, I'm very interested in this stuff. And that's why I love to get into it because people think that, you know, there's these lines anyway, same point challenge everything and i love that coming from you so anything else you want to shout out today before we wrap up new work you have coming upcoming events anything like that and go ahead and shout out your your alt uh, media group again so people can know where to look for that altmediaunited.com yeah we have over 100 podcasts a part of the cooperative everybody from the higher side chats to tinfoil hat grimerica show aeon bite i mean i could keep naming but then i would feel like i'm leaving people out and i have to be here naming 100 (laughs) podcasts but there's a bunch of great podcasts on the cooperative none of them pay to be a part of it uh it's a free service that we offer because i personally believe there should be a website where people can go to find all of these cool podcasts and if you like the cool podcasts I make, I got a couple of them. I got the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast. Uh, I got an Esoteric America podcast. You can find both of those on the same feed, whether it's Rockfin or YouTube. We're both we're on both. Uh, and then I also do a show with my friend Michael Wan. It's uh, called Your Handbook for the Apocalypse. You can find that nice. on the Susquehanna Alchemy rss feeds so all of that is on my website my family thinks i'm crazy.com and then it's all on altmediaunited.com all the shows oh, yeah. all of my work um shout out to alex Karras, of course he's uh sort of like my co-founder with alt media united and uh and al borealis my friend from the north up there in norway uh forum borealis he's also a big help with alt media united and uh yeah it's been a pleasure getting to know you, brother. It's been a pleasure having uh, you on my show and then doing uh, this show with you. Uh, I think I'm going to take the recording, if you allow it, and uh, put it at the end of our interview for people, and then uh, they'll get a little taste of both. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I, I just wanted to uh, – oh, that's right. I, was, I didn't want to forget. I, I, if let's, let's get TLAV, Daily Wrap-Up, as well as Rebunked on, on the – on yeah. the, the podcast setup that'd be great get the absolutely yeah possible, right? Outstanding. yeah please well, yeah well, i'll thank, send you an email well thank you for for joining today man and i really think that the, you know hopefully this opens some people's minds to just other conversations and things they should be asking and really highlight the point that you know it is we're in an interesting time where there are still people that are putting their head in the sand and just f- refusing to it, even engage with a possible conversation and it just it, that how we can think that's ever the right path have we ever thought that blows me away, but I think more and more people are opening their minds. And I think we just need to reflect on that family dynamic and realize how important that is. And from our, from people in your perspective or even mine, continuing to try to bridge that gap, even much as it may not even happen, but continuing to try because family is important and realizing that everybody, like we were talking about before, like pre nine 11, I was completely lost. I was completely like, didn't question the media, you know, and then, and then you open your mind to it. So we were all there at one point. Right. So just showing that Mm. compassion for people like that too, you know, doing your best, but uh, thank you for being here, brother. And as always, everybody out there question everything, come to your own conclusions, stay vigilant.
All right. And that was our conversation with Ryan Christian on The Last American Vagabond. It was a true pleasure and honor to be invited as a guest. And I look forward to talking to Ryan again in the future. Folks, if you haven't heard, Alt Media United is the number one podcast cooperative out there. We've got huge, heavy-hitting podcasts, and I'm not just talking about the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm talking about shows like The Tinfoil Hat, Aeon Bite, The Grimerica Show, The Higher Side Chats, you name it. So much more great shows. If I keep going and naming them, I'm going to feel bad for leaving people out. Can't forget to mention Fringe FM partners with Alt Media United, Forum Borealis, and Skeptico two podcasts hosted by two folks who helped create alt media united so here we are at the end of the show go over there listen to a show uh, or continue listening to the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast we have almost 250 episodes all free all available wherever you listen to podcasts if you need more which i think you do go over to the patreon we got bonus content there that's the best way to support the show we also have a rock fin and of course a new Substack. You can go over to Substack and check out everything that I've been researching lately. It's very interesting, very interesting stuff, and uh, it's not just going to be on one subject. We're going to cover many different things on the Substack. So go over to the Substack. The link is in the description. Thank you, folks, for listening, and enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now. Terrestrial, trying to stay human in a cesspool of professionals. But I confess too much off of the tongue. All my aunties and my uncles shield the ears of the young. I be saying shit and they don't know where it's coming from. In like a hundred years, we went saw bomber from guns. Check the facts, check the Fed, check the stars. Stanley Mines was murked for a water fuel cell car. They each they own, you can stick with your old ways. But eat the rich, you drink the motherfucking Kool Aid. And I can see the red on your lip stain. White skin, blue collar, pure American made. Fuck it. Keep your blood so heritage And run the soul off the moon landed narrative Yeah, my girl thinks that I'm embarrassing My folks think I'm nuts but never question the parenting Stuck in bed so my boss thinks I'm lazy Connecting dots but it's all kinda hazy I'm on the internet feeling like I'm Dick Tracy My pack thinks I'm un-American and shady I'm feeling unhinged lately Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily You could tell me that the president's an alien It wouldn't phase me My family thinks I'm crazy Think that I'm off in the deep end. One too many Netflix docs on the weekends. But check the budget for a military defense. Tell me we ain't scared of something not within reason. Steel beams, another 1492. And 9-11 was the red, white, and blue. And you be lit off the floor, riding ain't got a clue. All your dreams just shit on a Rockefeller shoes. Don't believe a damn thing a politician ever said. Ain't one brick left to gold up in the Fed. They still got bricks of cocaine to make crap. Oxy's killing the working class, FDA's whack. Talking like this, got kids talking behind backs. Too much to unpack, so they talk smack. And I'm just trying to converse with my clan, but it ain't fan. So I'm here setting up can. Stuck in bed, so my boss thinks I'm lazy. Connecting dots, but it's all kinda hazy. I'm on the internet, feeling like I'm Dick Tracy. My pack thinks I'm un-American and shady. 
Yeah, I'm feeling unhinged lately. Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily. You could tell me that the president's an alien, it wouldn't face me. My family did some crazy. Anything out, so you know, maybe I am. 